my dog's name is Wags. Uh, oops. He, yeah, she wiggles. <laughs> she does. <laughs> She's such a good. I love Wags. I have a little Wags. dog too, because when they don't have a tail, they just wiggle. Yes. Her it's, whole body wiggles. It's so cute. She does have a tail. Oh, really? It's but short. her whole body wiggles anyway. No, she's got a regular sized tail for a beagle. It's long. Am I not remembering Wag's tail? What are we picturing a stump? I've seen it's a I, full you tail. Okay. You just said beagle I and I remember. I've seen it's pictures got, on it's Facebook. It's got little brown tufts on the end. She's beautiful. She's got eyebrows. I remember. She has old lady <laughs> eyebrows. She's so cute. Her whole face is gray now. Is she, does she make lots of sounds? Uh, yes. She does the beagle howl, yeah. which is a whole experience. I I personally, the beagle howl... <laughs> <laughs> you look horrified. I am. <laughs> the beagle howl. <laughs> Jesus. Welcome to the beagle howl. No. Um, New name for the podcast. <laughs> I could not believe it. Party, party, party. No, yeah, happening. I feel like the air changes once we're recording. Does that make sense to you guys? It does. Okay. Like, I don't know. It's just, I know when he's, it's just, it's, it makes more sense. It There's happened. Like a weird anticipation in the air. You're right. Anticipation. <laughs> is it my anxiety about who's going first? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as the record maybe button is just like, it. maybe it's maybe. It's just like, maybe it's crippling anxiety. <laughs> maybe it's DiGiorno. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, it's not delivery, it's Maybelline. Great. Same. No, it's not delivery. Maybe she's born with it. <laughs> we should Combo. introduce the fact that we're here and do it. Oh, fuck. Oh, Jesus whose Christ. turn is that? I don't know because we are in my... a well, different you see, setting. The... You're right. We the should... back of the semi truck that we record out of has <laughs> moved. It's still moving. <laughs> it's moving constantly. And you'll never find us. You'll never find us. No, you'll we're never in my shut apartment. Us down. We're the pirate podcast. <laughs> no, tell tell everyone how cute my apartment is. Oh, it's so cute. We are in Zoe's apartment instead of Sam's, where we usually are, and uh, so there might be some different background. There's back groin. definite background noises background because noises, my yeah. radiators scream. Mm, yeah. That part. Sometimes they'll turn off. Sometimes they'll gurgle. Sometimes they'll have conversations. Great. Sometimes they will flat out shriek at you, and we might have to stop for a minute. <laughs> oh my god! So, I mean, right now they're being quiet. I believe so. This, it's like they're sent. You it. haven't heard them scream. We. So it wasn't that noise earlier. No. No, oh, I can't a, wait. That's a slight whistle. It doesn't <laughs> happen often. All like, right. If you open all the windows and like piss off the radiator and the heat sensors are like, we gotta work really hard now, right. it'll scream. <laughs> or if someone else turns on like the shower, it's, you it's know, wild. It's I, wild here. I cannot, like, I will speak the truth. When that happens, when I am here, you're gonna lose your mind. I'm going to definitely scream. <laughs> We're gonna all be screaming. Like, I'm, there's no, that, if that happens without warning, I will scream. <laughs> I have a question, a counter question. When are you not screaming? That's a really good question. <laughs> you guys, can I? You'll know. Veer off on a quick tangent. Of course, it'll be fast. It'll be fast. Okay. All right. Um, the other day, I was sitting alone in my parents' dark garage, smoking a cigarette and other As stuff. You do. None of your business. Um, and. <laughs> 
<laughs> I heard this noise from like the back of the garage. By the way, it's pitch black except for the light of my Your phone. Your fucking garage is terrifying. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, I heard a noise that I, I could not identify, and it sounded like like there was a slim possibility it could have been like outside, like something like I don't know, hitting the window maybe. But like it sounded like something got knocked over at the back of the garage, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what if there's a person in here with me? I can't see them. They're in the shadows. And I just, they accidentally knocked something over. And then, like, before I could even talk myself down, the most intense terror filled me. And I, like, screamed a little bit. And I was so, like, for a moment, I was so paralyzed because I was like, I need to get up and activate the motion sensor light or turn on the light switch (laughs) so I can make sure I'm not going to die. And then another part of me is like, no, just open the garage door and fucking run. Yeah. um, So at this point, you're just sitting and screaming. Sitting there. Like, I I was not screaming at this point. Okay. Now I was trying to, like, make as much, I wasn't trying to make as much noise as possible. Um, So you did scream and then stop. So you did alert whatever intruder. He, he knew I was there. I was listening to an audio book without headphones. <laughs> um, he, I just talked about him like he's a real person um, who was actually there. But uh, Spoiler I, alert, no spoiler one was alert, there. No one was there. It might have been a demon. I don't know. It scared the hell out of me. Will you describe your garage, please? Yes, no, I will. Can I make a statement that I just want to get out there? Because Lydia's not going to even approach this in the right manner. Because Lydia You're lives right. there. You're right. I Do have it. been in that garage once. Do I it. only have one statement to make about it. There are multiple human figures in it. Like, like, Those like, are mine, too! They are mannequins, like stored physical human figures <laughs> yeah. scattered about this pitch black garage, dark brick. You can't see a thing. A god, you look up and there are more, more things staring at you. Disembodied figures. limbs yeah. and arms, heads, <laughs> anything you could imagine. Yeah, that's it's right. Horrifying. <laughs> I was a sculpture major. What do you want from me? <laughs> like, I want you to not be shocked when demons show up. <laughs> They're like, this, this, this is great. This is great. <laughs> well, listen, I decorated this place demon. So if you're into it, you got to be friends with me. It's the rule. The I'm, demon in my apartment. I'm also yelling. I, I do hate that monkey. Actually. Yeah, I did see that monkey. It had and not I willfully ignored it. <laughs> I love him. He has seen Oh, wait. I was supposed to introduce us. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. Jesus. Jesus Christ. All right. This is So. So is who I'm introducing first. <laughs> okay. Hi, um, So. And I am not doing last names because I don't like last names. Really and well. this is, can you believe this shit? I'm Lydia. That's Dominic. <laughs> Bonjour. That's Sam right over there. This is our new recording agency. This is Rhiannon. The kitty cat. The kitty cat. She's sleeping right next to me. She's my new best friend, and I She's love taking her. up 90% of the couch. That's She's true. the new star of this show. She's a babe. We're she's just going to hold up the microphone to Rhiannon <laughs> for an hour and, and a half. And then she's just going to start singing, like, <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my like honey. She actually hates Stevie mm-hmm. Nicks. It's awkward. So now that we're officially introduced... Are we just jumping in? Are we quelling your anxiety? Yes, it's bad. Well, (laughs) how about... We don't have to, like... We don't even have to just jump in. Like, Sam has to tell us. I just would like to know. All right, Sam, what's the order, baby, baby? 
So this week I did not make an order. <gasps> at all. Okay. Is it because what does that I mean? changed my topic so three times in the last, like, 24 hours? Um, not specifically. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a determining factor. Okay. But it's a factor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also. Just do it live. Yeah. Let, let's do it. Um, let's, let's do it live. You still have to What pick. was the order last time? Who the fuck knows? I don't know at all. Did I go first? No. I think I was last. What did I do? Yeah, I definitely went first. Or did I? I don't remember. Yes, I did. I did. Did you go first? I think so. All right. Because I remember being like, right. We'll go Dominic, Lydia. So, cool? Cool. Sounds good to me. Sounds fine with me. Okay, so do you want to just like jump in or what? What What do you want to do? It's you're going first. You get to set the mood. Let's just jump in. All All right. right. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready, Boots? What are you bringing me? A little town in Texas called Waco. I'm ready. I'm so Can ready. Can we talk about how you stole my topic? Excuse me? <laughs> Wait, really? Uh, what? Not not my current topic. Okay. I was going to say, topic for you today, have failed. <laughs> but my topic in general. I haven't claimed it. You've done nothing wrong. Okay, I thought, I was like, we You've have done, done claims. absolutely nothing wrong. Okay. But I'm mad at you. <laughs> That's but fair. But you're going to be mad fair. at me too, so let's go. Okay, good. Am I going to be mad come at you? At, come at me. God damn it. Okay, great. <laughs> I love Give me your topic. Oh my so, God, I'm here for this. Starting off. Yeah. This was a bitch to research. Because of the crazy people talking about it all over the place? That's one of them. <laughs> and also, all I have are government-funded websites that are going to spend a, a certain mm. tale yeah, that I true. don't want. Because I know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. So... I'm going to uh, sort a... So did you take down those systems and crack their secrets and you're <laughs> about to hacker. spill? I'm not a I don't have that. I'm not cool enough, unfortunately. I Everything can be hacked. to do that when I was 11 and I took a hacking class online. Uh, I didn't get very far, though. <laughs> I wanted but to I, do like, that. I did it Currently. for a minute. <laughs> I wanted to do that when I was 18 and, and also 19 and every other I want to do that right now, still. <laughs> I, I just still right haven't done now. it yet. <laughs> but I just know that I absolutely could not. Even if I tried my hardest, I know. I just don't. I don't have the... It's not how your brain works. It's not, how, it's not who I am. I'm too dyslexic for that shit. Oh, I feel that. That's going to be a huge problem then. <laughs> I could probably do... I, no. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to source a few documentaries, and it's uh, Waco the Big Lie. Oh. Waco 2, the Big Lie continues. I'm Waco 2. Like, that's, <laughs> that's everything I wanted, this honestly. This time, it's personal. Like, genuinely, that's that's the vibe of that movie. And then uh, Waco, a new revelation. So Is that the third one? Yes. No, that's not the third. Um, <laughs> like, like, Waco 3, a new revelation. It's just the third one on the list. Oh, okay. Um, so the Branch Davidian Group was founded in 1959 by Ben Roden and was designed to be an offshoot of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church, which had formed several decades earlier. In 1962, the Branch Davidians took possession of a parcel of land called Mount Carmel, located just outside of Waco, Texas, and up until the 1980s, the group remained relatively peaceful, leading simple lives and preparing for the return of Jesus, as we all are doing currently as one does yes <laughs> as i do daily yeah. i look up at the moon and I, I just i know he's gonna come 
I know he's going to come from the moon. From the moon. He's going to launch off the moon. Inside the hollow moon. It's just perfect. And he his is. blood is wine and it's delicious. What a guy. What a guy. I mean, that's... I'm just quoting the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> his blood is fine and it's delicious. Quoth the raven. His um. toes are breadsticks. <laughs> his blood is marinara sauce. <laughs> Blasphemy. I apologize to anyone who has offended. Surprise, Jesus is white. (laughs) An Italian. He's an Italian man. And he hates every single one of us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When the leader of the Branch Davidians, uh, Ben Roden, died in 1978, an immense power struggle ensued between the followers who were loyal to his wife, Lois, and those who preferred his son, George. Lois found an ally and a young convert named Vernon Howell, who had moved to Mount Carmel with his wife Rachel and their three kids. In 1983, Howell began claiming the gift of prophecy, and Lois Roden allowed Howell to begin teaching his own message, which caused controversy in the group. Why? What if they just didn't trust him? They were like, who's this? Who's this motherfucker? Well, I mean, well if... I'll tell you. Okay. Uh, Lois Roden's son, George Roden, intended to be the group's next leader and considered Howell an interloper, so he, they didn't want him, like, fucking... Was right. it a coup? Sort of? Not they, felt, first. they felt very personally attacked by it? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they that, felt it was. Usurped. Yeah. Um, so what he did is... What did he do? Uh, George <laughs> Roden said he spread, he spread rumors that Howell had a sexual relationship with Lois Roden, who had become the uh, prophetess and leader of the sect, who was then 65 years old, and claimed that she had become pregnant by Howell. Did, did that not happen? There's a lot. Okay. Where some say yes, some say no. Okay. But unfortunately, I can't get any I definitely concrete. thought they were banging. Same. But also I heard there was just rumors. It's, sure. it's a whole bunch. Sure. I mean, they were kind of like culty. They didn't really like tweet about the rumors going on in their cult. Very that. They send it by a bird, so it actually was a tweet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Vernon Howell was quoted saying, if I got a 65-year-old woman pregnant, you better watch out. I'm God. Which is eventually used against him, as we'll see. Yikes. They just steal the I am God part out of that quote, though. Yeah, yeah that's it. I'm at, and just run it as him saying he's the, uh, the sinful messiah. We'll get to the Jeez. sinful messiah. In the ensuing power struggle, George Roden, claiming to have the support of the majority of the group, forced Howell and his group off the property at gunpoint. So at this point, the group had sectioned off into uh, people who followed George Roden and people who followed Vernon Howell. In uh, 1985, Howell and around 25 followers set up camp in Palestine, Texas, 90 miles from Waco, where they lived under rough conditions in buses and tents for the next two years, during which time Howell undertook recruitment of new followers in California, the United Kingdom, Israel, and Australia. Wow. The same year, Howell traveled to Israel, where he claimed he had a vision that he was the modern-day Cyrus. And Cyrus was a Persian king which is, who was famous for justice and kindness. Huh. Wow. Is that from the fucking vine? No, it's Owen Wilson. Wow. <laughs> 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 Cancel podcast. I'm done. Do you know which one that I just did? I, that was the lightsaber fight <laughs> with <laughs> Owen Wilson's wow instead of the the zap noise. <laughs> yes, I will fully endorse that video. I hate 
<laughs> the Wilson brothers. Listen, why don't you like fun? <laughs> and you know what's fun? Making fun of the Olsen brothers. Olsen? Who's their name? Wilson. <laughs> it's Owen the Wilson. Olsen sisters, Wilson, Owen. <laughs> Here I was thinking it was Wilson, Wilson Owen. <laughs> it's uh, Luke and Owen. Will why are we talking about Owen I Wilson? I am out of God control, that's why. <laughs> Uh, following Lois Roden's death in 1986, her son George assumed control of the Branch Davidians, though it was a reign that would prove short-lived. <laughs> Vernon Howe immediately began, began challenging George's authority, <laughs> claiming that he was the lamb from Revelation and that his children would be descended from God. A key tenet of the Branch Davidians' belief system was that the second coming of Jesus was imminent. Uh, Howell was very big on the book of Revelations, as it deals heavily with the end days, and would sometimes preach about it for 19 hours at a time. Germany? Wow. Like, mm, marathon, Christmas. just, like, would he just stand there and just, like, I'm sure he sat down once. Or oh, twice. okay. Or was times. it, like, filibuster rules? If he sat down, it didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> was he just, like, pacing back and forth, talking to himself? Yeah, I've seen videos of him preaching, and he's just kind of, like, talking gross. and sweating. A lot. I also don't like preaching. So. Yeah, videos of people problem. preaching yeah. kind of just as just upsetting to me. That's yeah. Can't help that. Sorry that that's my tea. So uh, George Roden offered Vernon Howell a, a wager. Not a rager. Um, mm -hmm. They would exhume a corpse, and whoever was able to resurrect the body would lead the branch Davidians. <laughs> what? You have a question? <laughs> um, several. Okay. Who? <laughs> Where? How many? Just one, just one body. So they take turns, or is it a race? It's. It, I, <laughs> How do you know who did it? If you resurrect him, oh, well, I guess it has to be. Yeah, like if he gets up, like. Oh, who? I guess it has to be one at a time. I guess. But then, what if, if the first one does it? How do you know that the second one can't do it too? Or is it just like you kill the first him? One or is there can can like, there there can only be one? There can only be one. I guess it was like a first come first serve sure. deal. I, um, I just assumed that they would exhume they would have to exhume their own separate bodies as part of it. It'd be like, okay, ready, set, time, go. Exhume your bodies, resurrect your person, bring it back to the starting point like to survivor. win the title of God. <laughs> New reality show from FX. <laughs> Waco Island. Total drama Waco Island. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, honestly, we're gonna fucking get there. <laughs> Uh, instead of participating, Howell went on a different route and reported Roden to the sheriff for uh, digging up a body. The police said they needed evidence of Roden unearthing the body, essentially not wanting to get involved. They're like, fuck that shit, man. Do what, just, like, we need pictures. They're so. like these mountain Pixar people. didn't happen. Okay? Not exactly. today. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Roden and Howell opted for a gunfight instead. Oh, all right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Howell As shot. Does. Yeah, that's what I, that's how I all my problems. <laughs> Howell shot Roden and was charged with attempted murder, though a mistrial allowed him to go free. Then in 1989, Roden attempted to murder a man with an axe and was committed to a mental institution for the remainder of his life. Which one? George Roden, so the, uh, the guy who... No, I mean which mental institution? Oh, I don't know. Oh. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I just thought, I was hoping that there'd be some slim chance that it'd be one of the iconic ones. I, yeah, I don't, I don't have that information at That's all. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, with Roden out of the picture, Vernon Howell easily seized control of the cult and then changed its name to David Koresh. Ugh. 
Koresh right. or Gresh? Koresh. K O R E S H. Like Koresh, but Koresh. Yes. Yes. Okay. And now we're going to talk about this guy named uh, Mark Bro. He was a self-proclaimed prophet that joined Mount Carmel in 1987, but was asked to leave in 1989 when he tried to usurp Koresh. Uh, Bro vowed revenge and called several agencies and made claims that Koresh was guilty of <laughs> adulterous sex, child abuse, and gun stockpiling. Lady, what's your question? Um, you had your hand raised. Yes, I do have a question, but I didn't want to disrupt too much. Okay, the name choice. David Koresh. Mm-hmm. It was a play on Cyrus somehow. I don't know how Koresh and Cyrus, they sort of sound similar. Do you know what I immediately thought? No. If you say it with a weird inflection and fast enough, David Koresh. It kind of sounds like Jesus Christ. There's a similar cadence. <laughs> There's a similar cadence. David Koresh. David okay. Koresh. Isolate David the audio Crash. and slow it down. <laughs> Subtitles over it. This he is, says Jesus Christ. Christ. We can we can identify the audio and play fingerprints. It in reverse. Okay, they are identical. If you mirror them and dust footprints, record the nine one one call. We're gonna figure this out, guys. Sorry. And I, because they're the the Davidians, I just assumed that David was David. A, yeah. David is a oh, also duh. it's a biblical name. Yeah. Of some sort. Mm -hmm. Didn't look that into it. Um, by this time, the Branch Davidians were funding their cult through a profitable retail gun business that included selling arms at gun shows across Texas, which was all legal. One of the agencies contacted by Mark Bro was the Cult Awareness Network. Same. And they were... <laughs> yeah, you the Cult Awareness Network? Yes. Are you aware? I started it. <laughs> They're out there. <laughs> They They're were a group you. that helps to arrange kidnappings and deprogramming <gasps> of people who join mm -hmm. cults. So uh, they pushed for an investigation of the Branch Davidians. On April 25th, 1993, a search warrant was written by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Hello, ATF. The ATF. And the ATF's job is uh, they're responsible for seeing that taxes are paid on certain types of guns and enforcing certain gun laws. Just... Certain. Do they do they enforce them? No. <laughs> oh, if they okay. feel like it, maybe <laughs> on like a good day if they're not tired and they got eight hours and they like. <laughs> and also, let me just gun laws. That is their in Texas. Okay. Yes. Hey, if you work for the ATF, give us a uh, phone call or an email and let us know what you actually do. Oh, okay. <laughs> the search warrant affidavit included the claims set forth by Mark Brohl. Despite the fact that the ATF has no jurisdiction to investigate child abuse or polygamy, and that these claims were already investigated by the Texas Welfare Department and the McLennan County Sheriff's Office in 1991 and 1992 and were found to be baseless. Smells like hush. The affidavit also describes how an undercover agent had seen the upper and lower receiver of a dis disassembled AK-47. The AK-47 only has a one-piece receiver. There are no upper and lower receivers. It was also reported that a neighbor heard machine gun fire but failed to report that the McClendon County Sheriff's Office had already investigated and found that Koresh was in possession of a Hellfire trigger, which was legal and only sounded like a machine gun. It, it, it allows um, the gun to fire quickly but at a legal rate. Like a semi-something? Is that a thing? Semi-automatic? Well, it, I don't it's, know. It's, 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 it's something you add on to the gun, so it sounds like okay. it, it sounds like a machine gun, but it's legal but it's, and not a machine gun. I see. It's yeah. for drama. The Very drama. And they're, they're selling these guns. So, so it's I the mean, opposite of a silencer. 
Sure. Uh, when the ATF inspected a gun store where the Branch Davidians had purchased 225 guns, the gun store owner told Koresh about their inquiries, and, the, and Koresh invited the ATF to the compound to prove that they had nothing to hide. The ATF declined the invitation. So. <laughs> Come on over. They're like, we got it. <laughs> We're good. We, we know what's happening over there. Oh, I'm sorry. How about you come we see for a, sure? No, no, no. We don't. We, we have know. a brunch engagement. Can we go? So the raid on the Branch Davidians was set mainly because the ATF merely suspected that the Branch Davidians might have a 50 caliber machine gun that they had failed to pay taxes on. What a 50 fun? caliber machine gun does not exist. One. I was so, going to say, isn't that quite large? So they can just, like, 50 calibers? A 50 caliber gun will liquefy a person from 22 yards, so 22 yards, just, 2200 yards, 200 yards. They also cost, like, 10 grand minimum. They're also expensive. What are they made to shoot? Uh, Helicopters. Anti-aircraft. Anti so they thought they See? were holding, like, a fucking anti-aircraft machine gun that does not exist. Yes. And they're like, we gotta go stop it. Correct. That's crazy, I hate that. It's not real. It's also wouldn't, not fucking real. The, it's kind of uh, real. ATF, as um, firearms being one of their specialties. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, they should probably know something about firearms. They should know that that's not out there. Yeah. Well, or obviously they, like, they do know. Gotta go get it for myself. <laughs> like, or did they just make it up? They must have. That part. They totally know. But couldn't they have made up something more reasonable? They don't have to. Well, they also have child abuse and polygamy claims that they're not. That's not their job. Exactly. So Alcohol, tobacco, child abuse and polygamy. <laughs> like, and firearms. Not, and firearms. <laughs> they're just, they like, they were all bored and they thought it'd be fun to storm a complex. They don't, <laughs> the government does not like when people are surviving without the government. That's true. Yeah. And thriving without the government. If you're fucking shit, you're not doing well who gives a shit well wasn't there actually child abuse and polygamy kind of happening there are claims 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 of child abuse started by mark Broll is where i uh well david originally heard david crushes fucking kids like they might be of the age in texas but they're technically 15. 14 and that's uh, even worse well have any of the sorry uh any of the kids ever said anything about it no, because they were raised help. into a cult. Of they were chaos. like, this is my god. Yeah. We gotta marry now. Yeah, I mean, the job of the new messiah was to father 25 kids who would help Jesus lead the resistance or some bullshit like that. Jesus so. needs to lead a resistance? I thought he just, like, showed up and took everyone home. Against the Antichrist. He should have just gone else. to a sperm bank That's 50 definitely. times. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Done. Well, I think they had to be pure. What do you mean pure? Yeah, that's science babies. Jesus doesn't approve of science babies. Yeah. <sighs> that's so impractical. <laughs> <laughs> also, I don't think science babies... I don't think that was... Science babies. Science babies. Were a thing, yeah. Could they produce science babies back then? In 93? Yes. I think you could yeah. argue that we were all science babies because some basic science was involved in us coming out. That's true. Fair. An argument could be made. If you believe... <laughs> in life after love. Yeah, it's true. I sure don't. <laughs> so, um, on they're Febu planning on storming. Yeah, they're planning on storming. And before the one day before the raid on February 27th, 
The Waco Tribune Herald began running a series called The Sinful Messiah. These front page exposés gained national attention, alerting America to the reported activities of David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. He was portrayed as a sexual predator and a man who abused children as young as eight months old. Sources also claimed that he annulled all of the marriages among his followers, stipulating that they would find their true mates in heaven. Uh, once you joined the Branch Davidians, you weren't allowed to um, be have sex, to have mar- be married, or have sex. Uh, the only person who could have sex was David Koresh. Well, that's an inch. Wait, so if he was the only person that could have sex, then who was he having sex with? Well, okay, if if he chooses, you could only have sex with David, David Koresh. Koresh, and only if he has decided that he will give you that. Well, yeah, there is a. You know, I'm inside his mind for a moment. I was gonna say there's a level of consent, but I feel like there's not actually. So never mind. It's, there's a level of coercion. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was. Yeah. And misinformation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the ATF's raid on Mount Carmel was intended to be a surprise. Authorities hoped to catch David Koresh and the Branch Davidians off guard so that evidence would be abundantly present. And this likely would have been the case were it not for a local news cameraman who had inadvertently tipped the group off. Jim Peeler, a cameraman for Waco's KWTX-TV, if you're listening, give us a shout out, (laughs) knew that the 75 agents were about to descend on the property and stopped en route to ask a mailman for directions. He did not realize that this man was David Jones, a member of the cult who would go on to alert David Koresh of the coming raid. So So this newspaper guy shows up. And and he's like, hey, there's a raid coming. Where's the fucking Mount Carmel compound? Oh, there's a raid coming. Well, did he point him in the wrong direction and run and like? Uh, did he tell him where it was? You know, I don't know. I mean, they're they're nice, God fearing folks. I'm I'm sure they. Plus, it was like news media. They're probably like, get your cameras over here. Very that. So, we're gonna go into the raids. This is this is where it begins. <laughs> February twenty eighth, nineteen ninety three. 9.40 a.m. The ATF went running toward the front door of the compound, yelled, police, search warrant, get down. David Koresh was standing at the front door when the ATF began running, and he closed the door. The ATF then begins firing at the front door. Koresh was shot in the wrist, and Davidian Perry Jones, who was in his 60s and unarmed, as Koresh was, was shot in the stomach, and he died. The videotapes of the front door were never fr- This whole fucking thing is recorded. The whole thing. The entire raid. The entire 51-day siege. But I'll get into that. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. 51 days. How have I never heard any of these details before? Because it's all covered up. Because the government made a mistake. <laughs> oh, I... A lot of them. <laughs> the videotapes of the front door were never found, and notes were torn out of the ATF surveillance log, and the FBI slash the ATF have no idea where they are. So, Just like, the gone. first couple pages of the report are, like, rip. how did that siege start? <laughs> like, noticeable rips. They're, like, large yeah. divots in the paper. Oh, After millions, seeing Koresh and Perry fired upon, there are some scary Davidians that did fire back, but it was not a general ambush as described by the ATF. The ATF said that they were immediately fired upon and that they were fearing for their lives, as we've all heard so many times. <laughs> and so they were firing non-stop at this building and you see there are some videos and you can see that they're just firing there are no bullets hitting the ground or any of the officers they are just clearly there it's a one-way thing bullets are going in there are no bullets flying out uh 40 atf members and seven branch davidians died on the first day 
and the Branch Davidians as a group were immediately charged with murder and conspiracy to commit murder. So, March 1st, the ATF begins negotiations with the Branch Davidians. Many members and children leave and are automatically taken into ATF custody. the ATF is still hanging out? Yeah, ATF and FBI. The ATF is still here until the the FBI. The the ATF still is hanging out even though members of their team has been murdered? Correct. They were not immediately taken off the case? No. Thanks. Mm-hmm. That's not against every protocol I've ever heard of. So uh, many members and children uh, leave the compound and are automatically taken into ATF custody because everyone was like, yo, this is probably going to be bad. Or you, you're, you're free to leave whenever you fuck you want to. But also, you're kind of not free to leave because the ATF and the FBI are fucking keeping you. Yeah, because we just charged you with murder yes. and conspiracy to kids. Like, just because were they charging the kids too? <laughs> no, the, no, no, no. The uh, kids were taken into, like, psychological study and stuff okay. like that. And there's this woman who worked for child services saying, these kids are really well-educated. And, like, why are you surprised? They were thriving. <laughs> Everything was fine. Well. Mostly. Everything was mostly. Everything was legal. Everything was legal. There is right, there is wrong, and there is the law. Yeah. They were not breaking any laws. Correct. The Branch Davidians are told if that <laughs> if the ATF sees any movement inside the compound, people in front of the windows, hands in front of the windows, it would be perceived as a threat and the ATF would automatically shoot. Probably true. Yep. <laughs> Branch Davidian Mike Schroeder, who is 29, went to work outside of the Mount Carmel Center on the day of the raid. After learning about it on the radio, Mike attempted to re-enter the compound where his wife and children were staying. Mike was fired upon by 11 agents, and he was shot seven times. Once in the eye, once in the heart, and five in the back as he tried to climb the fence into the Mount Carmel Center. His body was left on said fence for five days. That's a murder. On the fifth... Oh, wait. Oh, wait. (laughs) I'm so stressed out because this is so fucking much. Okay. It's like a roller coaster with a blindfold on for me right now. I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) drop. It's funny. I'm doing these little jumps, but it's like, I know there's a big one coming. On the fifth day, his body was lifted via helicopter grappling hook after being ravaged by our rabid dogs. Mike Schroeder's wife was never notified by the FBI or the ATF or her Uh. husband's death. And okay, according to the posse, how comic, did she find out on the news? Um, Davidians eventually uh, told her. Uh, her his <sighs> mother was told eleven days after his death, and um, yes, she was never notified by the government. According to the Posse Comitatus Act 18, U.S. Code 1385. To use military troops against United States citizens is illegal unless drugs are involved. However, the FBI brings in tanks from an army base to surround the house. Wait, do you have the explanation as to why they were able to do that? The ATF reported that there's a suspected meth lab stemming from the Mount Carmel compound. This was not true. There was. There, yes, yeah, sorry. There was originally a meth lab as soon as they moved into the Mount Carmel compound, but David Koresh immediately called the police and said, yo, there's a meth lab, come clear the shit out. And so it was gone. Yeah, he was like, no drugs. No. We're not doing drugs. We're we don't following want any the drugs. law here. Yes. Uh, Thank you, so. Governor Ann Richards of Texas, who approved the use of tanks and military forces, admits that she was deceived by the ATF for the usage of tanks. However, she does not order them off of the property. 
In late March, the FBI orders all utilities, lights, gas, plumbing to be disconnected. The Branch Davidians lived on rationed rainwater. Whenever it rained, they put buckets out and tried to collect as much as they could. No one got more than eight ounces a day of water. It just keeps getting more and more illegal. The Branch Davidians are given a single phone with a direct line to the FBI as their sole means of communication. Mm -hmm. The British Strategic Air Service sends a specially equipped plane to take thermal images of the house, and the FBI inserts fiber optic cameras into the walls and air vents of the house, meaning the FBI can see and hear into the house at all times. They set off a steady stream of torture aimed at the Branch Davidians. Bright stadium lights shone directly onto the house at all times. The sounds of rabbits being slaughtered. No! You heard Tibetan that. I've heard that. Chance. And Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Were Made For Walking I'm... were all blared through loudspeakers at ear-splitting At volume. the same time? That part. Separately. I'm mm, I don't know that for sure. Okay, well, all right. The other thing I have to say, what was the last two? Tibetan monk chants and Nancy Sinatra's uh, These Boots Were Made For Walking. I don't know if I've heard Tibetan monk chants, but I have heard monk chants. And aren't they like peaceful for like meditation and stuff yeah but not if it's all loud and you right ear splitting volume oh yeah i hours. i i heard loud and i didn't register ear splitting ear splitting um they're <laughs> they have stadium lights and they're also playing these like stadium speakers like they're not fucking around and uh for added injury the uh, fbi tanks would run over branch of Indian members cars and their children's go-karts just for they were fun. just crashing it and they were also moon them just what? show their asses what the, the yeah to children I don't know, maybe not to children. There were children in the house. They don't care. The cops or the ATF. The yes, cops? ATF, FBI are showing their ass and their assholes, I assume. Just because it's just having a laugh. They're yeah. just taking the piss out This is of a them. fun time. What? All right, so let's get into April 19th, 1983. The official story told is that the FBI tanks are punching holes in the compound walls to insert a non-flammable CS gas, which was to urge the mothers and children to come out. CS gas is a riot control agent. Exposure causes a burning sensation and tearing of the eyes to the extent that the subject cannot keep their eyes open and a burning irritation of the nose, mouth, and throat. Mucous membranes causing profuse coughing, mucous nasal discharge, disorientation, difficulty breathing, partially incapacitating the subject. And this is to get children and mothers out. To come peacefully. out into the gas and through the gas. Through yes. the gas and not run screaming in the other direction. Correct. Great. Yeah. There are holes made in the side and the front entrances to the house, collapsing the inside stairwells. Well, it's not like they made holes. They crashed their tanks through the walls. Yes. The, um, is that... I'm not... You, you said it very nicely. Okay. They are taking their government tanks and, and like driving the them through the wall. They collapse the inner stairs. What? Making sure no one can escape. People were confined to certain areas as the tanks began to dispense their gas, trapping them. Tanks were parked on top of an underground bunker for two hours, gassing it the entire time where most of the mothers and children were... Inside the bunker? Yes. Yes. They were parked over the door. Yeah. They would park over the underground door to the, to the bunker. Did they all die? Yes. Yes. So they tore these holes to throw the, the CS gas that's non-flammable. That it, the non-flammable CS gas. And eventually... A fire breaks out. Now, this uh, is the most 
frustrating part of this story because no one knows how the fire started. Well, what's the ATF I know how the story? The fire ATF fire and the started. FBI <laughs> holds firm on the fact that the Branch Davidians started the fire. Bullshit. The thing is, through the bugs, they had known that David Koresh was teaching about uh, and preaching about uh, revelations, and they knew that they would end in fire, so they assumed that they started their own fire. But uh, it was prophesied by David Koresh that they would be attacked by a government-slash-military-style agency and that it would end in fire. And then that is the new revelation. That's the new world order after that. Does that count as suicide? No, he, he didn't say he was killing himself, but he knew it was going to happen. He knew that, that the ATF was going to show up and kill him, so he was preaching it. Yes. I know, but what, what my question is, is like the cops are being like, they started the fire. And it's like their entire thing was about religion, and yes. that entire thing is about not killing yourself. Yes. Yes. So that just sounds fake. But like, Jonestown. True. That's like their most recent yep. example. That's mm-hmm. still in everyone's memory. So, I mean, there are there are theories that the FBI ran out of CS gas and eventually started using a more flammable gas. <sighs> Someone threw a fucking canister that had a pyro. Um, like, a like a Molotov flare. kind of? Yeah, a flare, and that was flare. enough to ignite a bunch of fucking gas. There is a lot, and I, I'm sorry, I do not know how the fire started. I wasn't there. I didn't do it. I didn't set it. That's well, all I know. The gas that they were using was clearly not non flammable. So, <laughs> a tiny spark of any kind. Any kind would have set the entire place. And when you're, you know, jamming giant things into places and not knowing where, like, any, anything could start this fire. It's like gas lines and electric stuff. Yeah, like, stuff do they and... have a stove with a pilot light? Like, they, well, it was they all cut it off, off right? All oh, cut, I yeah. forgot. Okay, so. so there are walls of smoke so dark that the flames couldn't be seen, but their heat could be felt. Surviving Davidians described the high-pitched, abnormal screaming that they heard all around them, so not normal screams of panic. High-pitched because your flesh is burning a lot. Oh my god! I hate that. As the fire roars, helicopters circle over the center with god, guns pointed... Smell. Helicopters uh, circle over the open center of the holes that they've made with guns pointed at the open holes. And there is evidence from the thermal cameras that there is a uh, machine gun fire from the helicopters, as well as shell casings found near sniper positions. 52 adults, 25 children, and two trauma-born infants were killed in the fire. Trauma-born infants, meaning there were two heavily pregnant women who birthed children during this goddamn disaster? Correct. So not only is hell happening, women are in labor. Because hell is happening. Because of hell. Yeah. Jesus Christ. The FBI holds their stance that they never fired a single shot on the day of the the final day of the raid. But the final day? What about the first day? When they killed? <laughs> when they sh- shot all of the shots on tape. Mm-hmm. What about the thermal cameras showing them firing into the fire? Everyone is saying it's like solar flares and it's not solar flares, well, but like light, light distortion. <sighs> And stuff like that. And I'm just, if the way it's set up, if the rapid light that's yeah. coming from a gun, it would, the camera or the plane would have to be moving at shaky angles. And that's not how fucking planes fly. So that's not, that's, <laughs> okay. Uh, it takes less than an hour to take down the entire compound, the fire. And tanks are seen pushing rubble and debris into the <gasps> roaring fire, destroying the crime scene. 
Yes. And the bodies that if anyone who is trapped, no, push all. Dead. Yeah. Many bodies, including David Koresh, were found to have been fatally shot before being engulfed by flames. There was an autopsy done on one of the Branch Davidians who died, and he died from a gunshot to the head, and there was no smoke inhalation whatsoever. Wasn't the, the story that they all killed themselves because they saw the fire coming? Yes, the story, the story that the uh, FBI and the ATF is selling here is that they all they lit the fire themselves and they're all firing on the ATF, and so there's defense. It's it's all bullshit. <laughs> A, on August 3rd, 1993, a federal grand jury returned a superseding 10-count indictment against 12 of the surviving Branch Davidians. The grand jury charged, among other things, that the Branch Davidians had conspired to and had aided and abetted in the murder of federal officers and had unlawfully possessed and used various firearms. Conspired to? Yes. Like they sat around and planned... How they were going to kill this ATF agent who stormed them with no warning. Conspired to and aided and abetted. Jeez. Because they were hiding in a bunker, they aided and abetted. Yeah. 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 Because they were inside their were mother's womb, for not born yet, they aided and abetted. This is all a horrible time. Massy. After it, no, I'm sorry, the government dismissed the charges against one of the 12 Branch Davidians pursuant to a plea bargain. After a jury trial lasting nearly two months, the jury acquitted four of the Branch Davidians on all charges. Additionally, the jury acquitted all the Branch Davidians on the murder-related charges, but convicted five of them on lesser charges, including aiding and abetting the voluntary manslaughter of federal agents. Eight Branch Davidians were convicted on firearm charges. I wonder what that, like, what that trial was like. I want to know, like, how much truth was told, how much was uh. skewed. No. Truth does not come until after. Until after the trial. I okay. Believe. Yep. Six of the eight Branch Davidians appealed both their sentences and their convictions. They raised a host of issues challenging the constitutionality of the prohibition on possession of machine guns, the jury's instructions, the district court's conduct of the trial, the sufficiency of the evidence, and the sentences imposed. On September 19, 2000, Judge Walter Smith followed the Supreme Court's instructions and cut 25 years from the sentences of five convicted Branch Davidians and five years from the sentence of another. All Branch Davidians have been released from prison as of July 2007. Huh. Now, on April 19, 1995, Timothy McVeigh carried out the bombing of the Oklahoma City Federal Building that left 168 people dead, exactly two years to the day after the end of the Waco standoff. And this proved to be no coincidence. Timothy McVeigh was a staunchly anti-government veteran of the U.S. Army who had actually spent time observing the Waco standoff with a crowd on a nearby hill, showing his support for the Branch Davidians. Upon his arrest, he attributed his motive directly to the events that occurred at Waco, criticizing the U.S. as being a tyrannical government that was out of control. McVeigh rationalized that the nearly 170 people he killed, some of their children in a first-floor daycare center as being collateral damage. Uh-uh. No. And that is the siege of the Branch Davidians of Waco, Texas. That was a lot. That's so much. That was so... <laughs> I'm going to make sure everyone I talk to knows know. this full story. That's what I want to do. I just, tomorrow at work, I'm like, do you know what happened at Waco? Do you know everything? 
That was me for like a week and a half after I watched my first Waco documentary. I called my mom and I was like, what do you remember about Waco? I was talking to my mom too. She knows nothing. That's what I do every time I do anything. I need to know. Anything that was like media related, Mm -hmm. I like call Sue and I'm like, what happened in the news? What do you specifically remember? Because like perception is reality, motherfucker. Like I want to know exactly what the general public got out of this case Mm -hmm. from the media. And her Waco thing was like, those crazy cult people, all about how those crazy cult people, this, 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 they set the fires, they killed themselves, it was all them. And I was like, oh. Every single article I read online, which is why I had to drift to documentaries, I usually do all my online research. Every article was like, David Koresh, crazy, blah, 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 megalomaniac. And I'm like, he was, everything he did was legal. I didn't say it's right, but everything he did was legal. What's his sign? I don't know. I will look that up very quick. No. My guess is no. I don't know, though. I mean, what are the odds? What is he? If he is, then, like, I need no more proof that the Zodiac is fully real and affecting all of us right now. Uh, August 17th, he's a Leo. No. Yeah. Well, that still checks out. Leo, Virgo, Cuspy. Is that Cuspy? Oh, okay. I see that. I see that big time. Mm Because he, like, still is trying to take care of everybody. But it's still all about him. I got you. Interesting. What a fucking... What a whole thing. Honestly. Okay, so that was highly unpleasant. Yes. But there's also a part of me that's like, I would never go back to not knowing. I'm happy that I know this now. Mm -hmm. I'm not happy about it, Mm -hmm. but I'm happy that I know that it happened. Oh, wait till you hear my my next week story. Anyway. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) Can we just record it right after this? (laughs) Yes. No, I can't. I'm done. I'm not ready. I could probably pull a story out of my ass, but it would be out of my ass. Same. <laughs> I could probably do Mothman live. We have to do a Mothman. We, we have, have to, to do math. 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 math, man. math, math moth. man. Okay, Math Man first, then Math Moth. <laughs> then. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Math Moth podcast. We're here to talk about algebra and cryptids. If I have three moths plus another three moths. How many Mothmans is that? It's a trick question. You have to know the conversions. The answer is four natural disasters. (laughs) You know the conversions! (laughs) Oh my god. So, Lydia, it's your turn. Oh, is it? (laughs) Here's my laptop. Here it is. So, have you guys ever heard of the S.K. Pierce Mansion? Haunted Mansion. Mm. I don't know. Have I? Um, Well, it was... uh, St. Gardner, Gard, well, yeah, Gardner, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, Salem, anybody? Anyway, it's this really old, huge mansion that has a dark history full of death and hauntings stretching back almost a century and a half. Fucking hashtag hello haunted. All right, so we're going to start off with just like some history about it. Sylvester uh, Knowlton Pierce was a wealthy business owner uh, in Gardner, Massachusetts. He had a good thing going with his S.K. Pierce and Sons Furniture Company, pulling down those big bucks. The success of his company was so good that like people started calling Gardner the town, the entire town, Chair City. I don't know why. Because of the furniture. I know, but like I don't know. If that's <laughs> okay. okay. I know why, but I like. <laughs> Sylvester wanted, he was like the richest guy in the whole fucking area, and he wanted to build a giant fuck off Victorian mansion uh, to just be like, mm, big status symbol. Everybody look at me. I've got this big ass house, and I'm the best. And it was across the street from his furniture store. It was 
huge as fuck. It was 6,661 square feet. That's a lot of sixes. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of sixes, and then it's also a one. It's actually three sixes, and then over in the margin, I put 666 times one equals 666. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you guys. The truth is out there. The on the walls. Wake up. <laughs> Wake up. Um, she's rocking 26 rooms in total, 10 bedrooms, 68 closets. Okay. Yeah. It's Wait, a, where are all those closets? I mean, maybe... There's 10 bedrooms, but 60 houses. There's 26 closets? rooms. Maybe there's a, like multiple closets in every six, every six rooms, every <laughs> single room. That's too many closets. Yeah, yeah well, I mean... They got a lot of skeletons to hide, I guess. Oh, wow! Am I right? Off the cuff, oh my! I was trying to, God. I was trying to make a gay joke, and I couldn't yeah. get there fast enough. <laughs> Sorry. Um, marble fireplaces, hand carved moldings, servants' quarters, more than seventy windows. If you care, um, it took two hundred men working day and night for a year and a half to build it, and that's why it's so big. It's full of secrets. <laughs> Okay, so now he had his loud ass status symbol, and he's gonna show the fuck off. He invited some. He he was like always inviting high profile guests to come stay and chill. One of the reasons why he built it so big was because he wanted to like basically have the ultimate super rich, a white guy um, hangout pad for like rich famous people basically, and he would like some of his guests who would just like hang out like for extended periods of time stay calvin coolidge pt burnham if you don't know he's that guy who made that circus burnham and bailey i think it's oh. ringling brothers now um, no i think those are two separate circuses no i it this one ringling I, brothers presents burnham and bailey circus really like yeah they like, like when in when i was because i was like <laughs> why don't i know enough about that guy and i wikipedia him and i said that it went into but i might have i didn't read much <laughs> norman rockwell he's that painter uh bet the fuck davis bet she, betty uh, davis it's she's bet davis she i think that's how you pronounce her name b-e-t-t-e yeah betty. that's betty are you sure? Yeah. percent. I've always just like th- I just never heard that. Yeah, it's Betty Davis. I love her movies. <laughs> Have you seen um All About Eve? Have you seen nope. whatever? Are, are you sure Jane? it's not just Bet then? Bet? Yeah. Are you sure that that's I not could be can I, I I maybe Cuz there's like like Bet Midler. Yeah, that's well, I, yeah, yeah, but I thought it was I, She's the one with the face in black and white movies. Yeah. She was Baby Jane. Yep. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, so Betty Davis. Betty she Davis. just spells it not like I've ever seen it spelled before. Whatever. Um, oh, and Minnesota She's Fats. Dead. Do you know who Minnesota Fats is? No. He is a... At that time, he was like the best billiards player, apparently. I'll just... And why this would I like... know who he was? <laughs> I didn't know who he was. I was just wondering. Um, oh, okay. I feel like... Did I say what year he built this house in? This is just a house, right? Not a hotel. So people it's just a house coming here it just to hang has out. a bunch of rooms and he's just like he rents them out basically throwing parties oh like and it's just like you want to come hang out he doesn't rent them out oh people were just staying there then basically he just wanted a network like he right. he wanted like to be important i think he's I a furniture to, he tycoon. was he's a fr- <laughs> furniture tycoon who wanted he had a lot of money he had a lot of money and he wanted high profile friends okay that's how i see it and he got them too oh and gatsby yeah 
And he built this in 1875, but I can't, for some reason, find it on my notes. Oh, yes, I can. It's right there. Minnesota Fats. Yes. Okay, Minnesota Fats. He's a billiard player, but he only came because there were a bunch of billiards and, <laughs> I assume, free booze. <laughs> so it looks like everything's coming up here, so everyone likes him, except not really at all because the first few weeks into moving in, his wife, Susan, she died of this mysterious, very painful bacterial infection that literally ate away her flesh. Pretty. No one knew what it was. None of the doctors back then, there was just like, it's just a mysterious bacteria infection that we have no, you know, and she's just dying super painfully. And then she died in the house. That's a bad time. Is yeah. it spread? I mean... Is it a uh, contagious uh, disease? It, I assume questions. it was not because okay. no one else, no one else got it. Okay. And I couldn't find any, like, it's like, oh, they got fruit from a far off land. And like, it's like nothing like this. She just caught this word. super yeah. rare disease out of nowhere and dropped dead like, after having her flesh eaten. I the, the irritating thing about researching this is... You look at all these details and all this evidence and you can like smell something more behind it. But no one who's alive who could possibly know about it will say anything. Hmm. So it's like, I'm really getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just like, okay. Huh. After she died, two years after she died, mm-hmm. he remarried to Ellen, a woman who was only a like maybe one or two years older than SKP's first and only son at the time. So it's like... He married young. Yeah. He married super young, and Frank got a stepmother who was like... It was, you know, 18 whatever, so like (laughs) she was his mother. Right. And she was like a year older than him, and he... How young was she? It didn't say. Huh. And you don't have Frank's age either, then? I don't have Frank's either. Um... Not at that point. I know they hated each other. Uh, really? Yeah. They, they like it brother was like, and sisters. They actually had a legendary rivalry. That's wow. how, like, two separate articles fucking worded it. But, um, yeah, they really were not... No. But SK and Ellen had two more sons, Stuart and Edward. A few years later, in 1888... S.K. Pierce dies, uh, and the home goes to Ellen instead of his eldest, Frank. And that was, like, really uncustomary at the time. Mm -hmm. That was just, like, not how it was done. So Frank was decidedly salty. (laughs) Salty. Like, to say the least. But I don't have any information about any specific retaliation between the two. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because, like, yeah. everyone in... Okay. Spoiler alert. All of the people die. <laughs> Spoiler alert. People die. All of the Spoiler people. Spoiler alert. This haunted mansion has <laughs> deaths. This, this haunted history. mansion has extra hella so many deaths. Um, okay. Mm. Ellen got cancer and died in 1902, so... Shortly thereafter, she died in the house, too, and it was abrupt. She had cancer, though. She, well, I mean, like, I am choosing to, because there's not a lot of specific information about, like, a lot of articles were, like, trying to make it seem like it happened quickly, and I don't know if there's a reason for that, but it's like, I'm inclined to believe she finds out 
and then it's like really accelerated. But anyway, I don't know. She, oh, by the way, she and Susan both die in the same room. Hmm. Huh. So the house that belonged to Ella, the second wife, goes to the three sons and they squabble over it and fight in court for years trying to like get it. They're just like, this family's got a lot of at each other. Um, Eddie ends up getting, he gets the house and he moves in with his wife, Bessie, and their daughter, Rachel. They, this is when they turn the house into a boarding house. Okay. okay? Oh, so they're man. the only ones left. Basically, like, I mean, he's the only one left. Everyone else is, like, gone. I think the brothers abandoned the furniture business and mm-hmm. went to go, like, work in, I don't know, fucking uh, at a car dealership, I think, or something. But anyway, Eddie gets the house. He's the youngest. He moves in with his wife, and tragedy strikes again when their daughter, their two-year-old daughter, gets influenza and like, dies. In the same room. Yeah. Jeez. What, uh, what a year is this? I, I think this was 1916. Okay. Enter the Great Depression, stage left. Um, <laughs> Bring it to the stage, the mm-hmm. Great Depression. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Now, like, this, there's, you know, like, a lot of, you know, they struggled through the Great Depression however they did. Um, they had a lot of money, but Bessie suddenly dies. Mm. Um, Where? I believe it's the Red Room, but I... Had a lot of trouble. Sure. Finding specifics. Like, any specifics. But she definitely died Bessie's. in the house. It's all says just like almost everything. She definitely died in the house. Okay. But it's, it's all it's like sudden death. Obviously that caused like the combined loss of his entire family. Edward spiraled hard. Uh, the family fortune is rapidly disintegrating. Hmm. He starts catering to a very different clientele at his boarding house. He uh, It gets a seedier rep. Kind of like a drinking house, like a speakeasy, except the prohibition was already over. But so, like, everyone was like, yes, we can drink again. Right. Um, Like an underground casino and, like, a brothel mixed all together. Oh, wow. In this big, extravagant mansion. So they were just going for it. He went for it. (laughs) He was like, he went for it hard. He went for it so hard. um, Things are getting worse for him. Uh, He... uh, an unnamed sex worker was strangled in her room, and it was the red bedroom. So we got another... Death um, in the red room. And there's not a lot of information on her at all. Did she work there at the building? Like, I have the to assume. She worked there, right? Yeah, I have Jeez. to assume. Or she was staying there. And Either like, way. You know, Jeez. working. There was this guy, oh my god, this Finnish boarder. He was boarding there. His name was... Inino? Eno. I'm I'm sorry, I cannot pronounce his name. How do you spell it? E-I-N-O. Eno. Eno? Okay, I was right. Eno Shari burned to death. (laughs) 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 This is so fucked up. He he burned to death in his bed in his room. Excuse me? Uh, Why? What started the fire? That's a good fucking question. Do we not he know? actually, um, okay, you know what? Burned to death is a slightly inaccurate. I, he actually died from smoke inhalation, but he was covered in burns. Though. Yeah. Like, they found him on fire. But the, <laughs> Wait, they found him on fire? Yeah, that's, he, like, you're, you're going to notice if there's a fire being lit. You in have your to hotel. back then, or else your whole shit's gone. It's right. all wood. Um, but the only. 
the only part of the room that was burnt was the shape of his body in the bed. So he spontaneously combusted. <gasps> Excuse that's what's, me. That's that's has been thrown around. Spontaneously combusted. Excuse I don't think it was so spontaneous. I think there's a there was a, a reason, and it was malevolent. Demons. Yeah, oh, demons. Okay. I think about demons is what I think. <laughs> All right, because oh, sounds like some supernatural bullshit. Yeah, some supernatural bullshit AF. Anyway, so in 1965, Edward loses the house in a poker game because remember he's going hard. <laughs> he bet <Right>. the house. <laughs> yeah, he, he bet the house and lost it promptly wow. to uh, Jay Stemmerman, the new owner. Jay. Imagine how pissed off he was because you know he thought he was going to win that. Like he, there was no doubt in his mind that he was like. Well, I wonder what he was going to get if he won. <laughs> I probably... <laughs> the other guy's, like, Probably wife, his... I don't know. Like, Jesus. Like, not getting beat up by this guy because of they have some, like, issue beforehand. Like, this is, like... Oh, let's see. Jeez. This is... Um, like, he's old. And he <laughs> lost everything. And he's so, like... Oh, my God. Jay Stemmerson lets him live in the basement. No, great. That's and nice of him. He feels bad. Lives down there for two years and then he dies. <laughs> In the basement? In the basement. Wow, how long does it take till they notice he's down there? I bet Jay noticed probably pretty rapidly because the basement wasn't necessarily like equipped as a living quarters. Oh. So like I'm sure he must have come out. I don't think he was kept. He was I old. Think he was led to to lie down there. On the cold next to the cisterns. Um, poor baby. Uh, anyway, Jay Stemmerman is also kind of interesting in his own right. He's super rich, which is not what makes him interesting, but he brings a lot more mystery into the history of the house because he lived in the house until 1980, so like almost 20 years, and then he just abandoned it. Huh. He just left. He just left. Easy come, easy go. Did he just disappear? I confess that I did not look. Okay. So I can't guarantee that. Okay. But I do know that he left behind. Uh, well, see, okay. It was abandoned for 20 years. In the year 2000, it was bought. And the new owners found that he had left some pretty unsettling and graphic paintings. What were they? Well, uh, some of them were of like women, half women, half beast was what was mm. used to describe. Also, there were graphic orgy scenes in like graphic detail like huh. gruesome detail gruesome orgies i well they're like half beast i have i was i meant to like look up and see if i could find some kind of scan or like a picture are the half beast women engaged in orgy i don't know i, I would assume that all of his paintings have the same confirm theme. or deny that okay as i have not seen them fair and it's not <laughs> in my notes uh it kind of makes you wonder what Jay was up to in that creepy old mansion, basically by himself. Uh, yeah. And also at that point, like that was after like at least 20 years of like being just this like degenerate den. I don't think Edward was like keeping it up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it must've been pretty like, I don't know, at the heels and it wasn't clean when like they bought it, when they found it, it was like, who bought it in the 2000? I don't know. Okay, but like, what do they do with it? Well, uh, they... just like go through it for weird things, cause like gulls. <laughs> I'll get to it. Okay, <laughs> sorry, they I'm questioning it. you. They sell it rapidly. Oh, okay. They're just like, hey, but then someone else buys it. I believe now it's a museum. Ooh. Oh. 
Because it's hella haunted. Because everyone's Cause, dead. Because it's hella haunted. <laughs> everyone, everyone has died. Like, dead. everyone you've mentioned has died in the house. <laughs> yeah. There's there's no one... No one There's no one left life. to tell any of the stories. And I personally think that every, ma- every Pierce was an iceberg of sinister. That's my vibe. You know hmm. what I mean? Hmm. We, only, we only know about the mm-hmm. tip. Right. I feel like there's a lot more, and I have reasons... I'm also not to the hauntings yet, but I want to like do this in between. By the way, there's a, this is kind of, I don't know where to put this, but there's just a rumor about a little boy who drowned in the basement cistern. It's completely unconfirmed. It's huh. just a rumor. There has to be a little boy ghost. There is a little girl boy ghost. ghost. Some, yeah, there has to be yeah. one in every story. But I have two. Oh, I'm going to just, let me get there. <laughs> the original Pierce built something into the basement that people didn't know about until like, I think, like after 2000, basically, because like until it passed out of uh, Edward's care, it was a tunnel, a secret underground tunnel that went underneath the street over to his factory, which was across the street, if you hmm. remember. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's really cool. It is convenient. Has, like when they found it, it was caved in, oh. but both entrances are intact. And you can clearly see them and, like, they know that there was, like, bam. Yeah. And no one really can... There's no, like, definitive answer for... Uh, why? Why. I will tell you this, though. Every single psychic that has come through that basement and gone and, like, looked at that, first thing they all notice is evil presence. Mm-hmm. Every single time, without exception. Then when they, like, the when they're focusing on the tunnel... They, it's not always the same thing, but it's always about children. One person, one, one psychic was like saying that there was demonic rituals going on and that involved children Mm -hmm. like in the past. And that's what like, there's like a little boy and a little girl ghost. Um, and supposedly that's who the psychics were talking to. Also, I submit basically the only unidentified forces or ghosts in this house. I mean, well, there's actually a lot, but the... Most ones that people know about the evil presence in the basement and the little boy ghost. No one can account for any of them. Like every other ghost that's been seen, like you can match it up to a person who died in the oh. house. But this little boy and the evil presence in the basement, there's no information that we have that makes that sense. You know what I mean? That's... Where they came from, exactly. why they're there. Okay. I smell like beef. Not Satanism, but like demoning, like demoning rituals, mm-hmm. demon rituals. I don't know. There was a lot of like unsavory. I think this, yeah, it was. It's like drama all, and control. Drama. Like a lot of the psychics were like madness and confusion. There was abuse. There was children. This was bad. This is a bad place. There were children here. It's gross. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> like I can it still smell you, them. <laughs> Honestly, I'm the medium. Uh. But like, I actually just, I mean, there's one word you need to actually answer both those questions about the ghost, the boy ghost and the demon. And I, <laughs> I just said it. It's a fucking demon. It's gotta be. It's a Boom. demon in the basement. The demon spread the rumor about the, go- about the boy drowning. Cause like they, no one knows where that really came from, but it's like floating oh. around in all of the evidence. Everyone fucking says it, but it's like, he's like, yes, believe that I'm yeah, a child. Like, mm-hmm. cause that's what they do. Cause like people say that ghosts of children aren't a thing. Yeah. And then it's demons. And now we've got the tea, everybody. 
I uh, I want to read like a quick passage from the actual official haunting, uh, ha uh, not haunting, official website of uh, this house run by the owners. You have to sign a waiver before you go in. Of course. Um, yeah. It's it's like one of those Robert the Doll things where it's like you do you not sign up for this. <laughs> yeah, you you signed up for this. You promise not to antagonize the ghosts because like these ghosts have like pushed people downstairs. Oh man. I'm so into that. Like aggressive, <laughs> AF. That's what I want. Prove me wrong. Like, like honestly, physically push me down the stairs. Sl bitch, slap me. You want to go? Sure. Where is it? Massachusetts. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so this is that passage. Uh, the entities in this mansion are extremely advanced and have demonstrated a unique ability to impose their will physically on guests. For this reason, detailed injury waivers must be signed and uh, prior to each experience. Also, don't piss off the ghosts. That's what it says. <laughs> um, I already said it. You can edit that out because I said not sodomized it before. That's not a word. But you said sodomized. <laughs> I meant to say, what's the word I'm looking Synopsis? No. It's in that neighborhood. Anyway. Capsized. I don't know. Sighting experiences. Sightings and experiences. All right. So we're just going to like, I'm just going to list like the ghosts that we know that have been seen first. Okay. First, we got SKP, original recipe, um, SK Pierce, the first who built the house. Uh, Susan, Ella, Edward. There's a, a nanny that I couldn't find a lot of information about. Like she worked there, but I don't really know what her deal was, but she, they know her name and they know it's her. So great. Um, and she apparently died in the house. Yeah. Her name was Maddie Cornwell. Um, gross. and I mean, it's Cornwell. It's a gross last name. Yeah. And <laughs> I couldn't find anything about her death though. Hmm. Like, I'm like, Maybe she drowned in a well full of corn. I don't know. Maybe wow. there was a demon. <laughs> a prophecy. Yes. <laughs> Two young children. Okay, but like one of those children were like, hmm. The other one is definitely Eddie's daughter. Okay. I put Prob's Eddie's daughter in the basement boy. <laughs> <laughs> the basement boy? Yeah, with an eye. That's the demon. That basement boy. Damon. Uh, the demon. It's a demon. Hey, guys, watch out. There's a demon in the basement. All right. Uh, a man named David, believed to be the murderer of the strangled woman in the Red Room. Uh, red Room. The Red Bed Room. <laughs> the Red Bed Room. You know the Red Bed Room? Red Bed Room. Um, also, uh, Enosari has okay. been seen. Because, of course, he basically like went burst into ghost fire. Yeah. Like, <laughs> ghost fire. I wonder if he has like fire powers as a ghost. Sorry. Yes. Danny Phantom? Both fire? <laughs> there are many more that... Uh, people have like seen but they can't identify and it's like you don't know i mean it could be a demon just trying to trick you a bunch of different times there's a lot of things hmm. some of the other occurrences that just like kind of rapid fire people have alleged that they've heard voices inside the house like right around their business oh my God, like and right also near them? yeah and also coming from one room away like enough where it's like you know you weren't hearing things and you like check the room and it's like uh-uh Doors slam loudly. Uh, felt presence of a otherly being when alone in a room. So just kind of being like, Ugh. hearing voices sometimes in another language. Uh, oh. Seeing full-bodied. I think that might have been Eno. Okay. Because he's Finnish. Ah. Seeing full-bodied apparitions, moving furniture, phantom footsteps, which 
I hate uh, sudden temperature changes and smelling foul odors for no obvious reasons, which I hate because that pissed me off so much. It goes for comfortable and it's Wait. like decaying death smell. And I'm like, how dare you? First I time. smell weird odors all day. So do I. Sometimes I think they're olfactory hallucinations. It's because of my nose ring. If I get garlic on my finger and touch my nose ring, oh. all of a sudden my nose ring will rotate and I'll be smelling garlic all day. And I'm like, where's the garlic? <laughs> Maybe these people just all had nose rings. <laughs> Debunked. <laughs> De- they all have nose rings. All right. I mean, case closed. <laughs> oh, and yeah, I already said this, I think, but one visitor was pushed down a flight of stairs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> fun yep oh um yeah i mean that's about everything i have about this there's not a lot of more information because everyone fucking died i'm pretty <laughs> sure that there was demonic rituals going on they summoned a demon they promised it stuff you know what i mean children kids like yeah were they making sacrifices like why were all of his wives dying of very obscure i mean that first one a flesh eating disease, mama. Yeah. Mama. Do you think do you think a demon could get their hands on a flesh eating disease? Because I think the fuck yes. <laughs> I don't know They're probably made of flesh eating disease. They're just gonna be like got it. Just, you You're spit done. on you spit. And it, just, it spreads. Get done. Get out. <laughs> Except don't because I want your soul imprisoned. But yeah, no. So that's the story. <laughs> the SK Pierce haunted house manor. I'm Mansion. so into that. We can totally in uh, Massachusetts, right? I didn't know any of that. Massachusetts Garden Gardner. Where in Massachusetts? Massachusetts. Gardner. Where is that? You know, I don't know. I don't no know That's fine. I hope it's near Salem because if it is, we're going there too. Perth. Yeah, sure. Perth. Yeah, but so um, can you believe this shit? I can't. No, that's wild. Yeah, I didn't know I any of know that. More. Honestly, How did I want to know more. I want to know more. Someone needs to plant a truth tree. I want to ask it some fucking questions. <laughs> Also, I wish that was real. <laughs> Sorry. Is it time? It's Are your we turn. Sorry. Ready? Are we all set? Go, 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 go. Are we all set? Yeah, so I don't think I I'm have Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding for you guys today. Nancy Kerrigan? Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. <laughs> go. Okay. Nancy Kerrigan, go. So. Do it. So I knew this was wild, mm-hmm. and I knew this was wild, and I'd been told before, um, and I had seen and read things, but I did not know the full extent whatsoever. I don't either. I just, I, I just know, don't. I just know the why. This is my favorite part. Okay, let's jump in. So Nancy Kerrigan. Mm-hmm. The beginning of this is much more structured than the end of this is. Sure. But we'll be able to like kind of power through the beginning because we're going to get to the exciting part. So what I have is Nancy Kerrigan. She was born on October 13th, 1969 at 5.17 p.m. For anyone who wants to look up her chart, she is a uh, Libra sun. She is a Scorpio moon. Oh. She's Aries rising. Oh, God. And uh, What a mess. <laughs> so that's, that's her. Her chart. So wait, did you say Scorpio Sun? Scorpio Moon. Oh. Libra Sun. Oh, Scorpio Moon. Yikes. <laughs> her parents, Daniel and Brenda Kerrigan, uh, and she had two brothers, Michael and Mark, who played hockey. They were both older than her. She kind of had like an all-American family. Her dad worked his ass off to pay for her lessons. She took up figure skating at age six and started private lessons at eight. Her dad used to like literally drive the zamboni at the rink in exchange for like her lesson time oh wow 
um, like they worked her up from the like from the bottom. Mm-hmm. She worked for that. Uh, she won the Boston Open at age nine. It was her first like competition. That was like a year after she started private lessons. So wow. she's she's got it. She loved it. She like her favorite thing was going really fast. Her instructors used to yell at her all the time because they're like, "That's not ladylike." And she's like, "I just want to drive." Like, because her brothers played hockey, so she just wanted to go really fast and have fun. I fell in love with her watching this documentary. It was <laughs> it's the NBC documentary. I'm in love with Nancy Kerrigan, <laughs> and here we are. Um, so, like, the start of her rise to fame was in 1987 with the U.S. Figure Skating Championship. She placed fourth at the junior level, like at her debut. It was at this event where she competed against Tanya Harding for the first time. Mm-hmm. Tanya Harding had been competing for a little bit longer, and Nancy Kerrigan kind of jumped in and placed a lot faster than Tanya had ever seen <gasps> happen before. Oh, she um, like snipped right in there. Yeah, there wasn't really any talk of them being rivals at all. There actually are no articles about them. There's like two articles about them, like hmm. total before this whole incident. Okay. So there's, the, it's not like they were rivals. They didn't really like, I don't know. Interact. I didn't really get that. I get it super forced by the media because it's fun. But like, I didn't really see that until later. So the following year, she made her senior debut after only one year. I guess she was 18. So she was kind of old for, I think at that point you have to, I think that's how age works. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think once you're 19, you're in the adult okay. figure skating. I don't really know a lot about figure skating. I'm going to say that straight up. I tried to learn things, so I'm not talking like an idiot when I speak about it, but um, I did the bare minimum research into figure skating as an existence. (laughs) So uh, she placed, like, very quickly she was making her way up. She started in 88 in the senior um, debut at 12th. Uh, 89, she got 5th. And then 1990, she was in fourth. And in 1991, she placed third nationally, which qualified her for the World Figure Skating Championships in Munich. So the U.S. team was Christy Yamaguchi, Tanya Harding, and Nancy Kerrigan. Okay. It was, like, the first time that Nancy ever had, like, a team. Because she was always, like, alone doing her figure skating. Mm -hmm. People didn't really like her at school because she got special privileges. She came in a little bit late, left early because she was, like, training to be an Olympian. In, a, in Woburn, Massachusetts, I didn't say that. <laughs> we gotta go there. <laughs> right? We should just travel through Massachusetts now. So, she... she's I just love her so much. So, this team, uh, Christy Yamaguchi, Tanya Harding, and Nancy Kerrigan, swept first, second, and third, respectively, that year. So, it was great. It was the, one of the first times that it ever happened for the United States. It was her first Worlds, and she took the bronze. I was very excited for her. <laughs> In the 1992 season, uh, Nancy was brought her first Olympics. The media ate her up. Her hardworking background and her straight-up talent paired with her, like, literal, like, she's gorgeous. She's so pretty. And her modesty, like, she was super sweet. She was like, I'm not really any of that. She didn't really like to wear her medals. She thought Mm -hmm. that was corny. She was brought, like, corporate sponsorships. She did, like, airlines and performance opportunities to perform on, like, the professional level, which was later made illegal for amateurs to perform at the professional level just because okay. they're, like, famous. I don't really know how all that works. So, Is there, like, a test you have to take to be considered not an amateur anymore? I don't know. I feel like... It, I think it's, like, when you're competing at the national level, you can't, like... I don't really know. I don't know. What, I don't know. Skating. If you know figure skating, <laughs> uh, email us at candybelievepod at gmail.com. Yes, please, because I want to know. So, 
here we are. The 1993 season, Nancy was U.S. Championship and the U.S. Skating Sweetheart, an entire angel, even though her performance had technical errors. The figure skating, like, the, the focus at the time was heavily weighted in actual figures that you were tracing on the ice, like okay. like physical shapes, which was later dropped completely. That's not at all being focused on. But it, like the title figure skating came from like actual like figure eights and like shapes being drawn. And she wasn't too great at those. She got a lot of like low scores um, in that aspect. But other than that, like she was great performance wise. Everyone loved her. She was adorable. Her coach later attributed her, to her um, her errors in her 1993 season to her focusing too much on her appearances and like the media mm. rather than her skating. Uh, Worlds brought more attention to her apparent lack of focus, and shortly after, she stopped public appearances almost entirely and hired a sports psychologist to better prepare for the 1994 Winter Olympics. What's a sports psychologist? That's like a specific thing. Not, it's not a psychiatrist? Sports psychologist. Okay, I was just wondering. She described it herself in the documentary as she needed to learn how to perf- or how to compete, not just how to skate. Okay. Okay. Because it's like... It's a whole thing. It's mm-hmm. a competition. Uh, yeah. So I didn't come here to make friends. <laughs> she didn't. She did not come here to make friends. <laughs> Even though she's a complete angel to everyone that has ever she's ever come across. Uh, so the Winter Olympics were held in 1994, and everyone was like super preparing. So enter Tanya Harding, like officially. Okay. I'm gonna get into her background really quickly. She was like an otherwise background character in Nancy's life up to this point. Like they were on the team together, but Nancy was never really close to her teammates. She kind of was focused on performing and focused on her skating. So she always trained, like they always trained separately. They only were on the the rink together for like a short period of time before, like for the press, before like each of the competitions. So I think the, the push narrative of their rivalry is really weird. But also, like, I don't really know their lives. <laughs> the yeah. only rivalry I ever see is spoken about when they're trash-talking Tanya Harding as a, as a woman and as a person. Right. Which we're going to get into. <laughs> they are going to drag her to goddamn bits throughout this whole story. <laughs> so she was born on November 12, 1970 at 8.22 p.m. in Portland, Oregon. Uh, she's a Scorpio mm-hmm. with a Taurus moon. And she's a Cancer rising. A Scorpio with a Cancer rising? That's terrifying. That's interesting. I hate that. What's her moon? Taurus? Yeah. Gross. So um, her parents, Lavana Golden and Alan Harding. Lavana? Yes. I love that. (laughs) That's a name. It is a name. And a half. It's a full name. It is a name and a half. It looks like a name and a half. Lavana? Or wait, what is it? Because it's capital L-A, capital V. V. Looks like a name and a half. That's my alternate reality name, you guys. Lavana. Good. I also have several of those. <laughs> Good. Right. Because why not? It's fun. So, uh, Tanya Harding was very close with her father. He taught her hunting, drag racing, and cars. Oh. Um, not drag. Different drag racing. <laughs> drag racing like the vehicles. The what? Her mother was terribly abusive, both mentally and physically. Lavana. Yeah. She's not a not a. Good we had one. faith in you. I mean, that is on. Okay, I'm sorry, but that is the name of of a villain. That's a villain's name. <laughs> it is. Make no mistake. Make Lavana. No that's a villain's mistake. name. Doesn't mean I don't love it, <laughs> but it's a villain's name. Uh, she had like a completely messy upbringing. They lived in a trailer home, but not in a trailer park. Okay. She was very adamant about that because everyone called her trailer park trash, and she's not. 
She trailer, just lived in a mobile home. Trailer home trash. <laughs> she did not live in a trailer park at any point in time. Uh, her dad worked his ass off, similar to Nancy's story. I didn't mention Nancy's mom is legally blind. Okay. So when her the dad was like working three jobs to support the family. Lavana, I think, was working at a restaurant, and Alan Harding had a couple like odd jobs. I couldn't really figure out what he did specifically. There were like a bunch of I got a lot of different sources, but I think it was just like them trying to vilify him as a man mm. and their mm, family okay. as just a whole thing. Right. Ah, so she started um, skating pretty young. She saw people skating and was like, "That's that's it." That's my thing. Uh, and she had to work really hard to get accepted by a coach because everyone was like, they kind of like saw her and she's kind of like a messy little blonde child. Mm-hmm. She's a messy little blonde child. And they were like, nah. Yeah. And they kind of saw her fighting with her mom and choice. her mom slapping her across the face in the ice rink. And they right. were like, ooh. So oh, wow. she kind of had to like work. She uh, like described skating back and forth, like and doing spins and showing off like in the rink right after she was like denied by a coach. She was like, well, fuck you. Watch this. Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Actually. She kind of like, she worked her way up from nothing. She's like, like literally from a very shitty upbringing. How old was she when she was doing that? Uh, Nine? young. She was, I don't know when she, I don't have a specific okay. time she started skating. She sounds scrappy. Scrappy. Like scrappy child. Very that. Mm-hmm. She wanted to uh she wanted to skate to like ZZ Top and her music. She didn't want to skate to like <laughs> Mozart. I'm obsessed wear, with her. Wear like bad uh stupid outfits and do her hair. She thought that was like corny. She's like it's about my skating. I don't want to do that. This on a very different like level than Nancy. Nancy mm-hmm. knew that she had to kind of conform to get where she wanted to go, but Tanya was like, fuck that. I'm not going to wear the fancy outfit. I'll do what I have to, I guess. She wanted to do fucking railroad derby, but on the ice. Very that. And cool. I mean, oh, yes. So at 16, she first placed in the U.S. Championships, so she... Uh, Is that just hockey? What? Roller derby on the ice. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Earning 6th in the 86th season, then 5th in 87 and 88, and 3rd in 1989. She was way less marketable and way more stubborn than, like, the girl next door type that Nancy kind of was accepted as almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Tanya struggled with her performance-related asthma, and due to low compulsory figures, which is what it is called when you do the shapes on the ice. <laughs> I wrote literal ice patterns because I was so <laughs> shook because I had never heard that as like a concept because no one does that anymore. Gosh, that sounds so stressful trying to do that. Yeah. Once that like it finally fizzled out of focus, like they entirely dropped it in 1990. Good. So in time for the 1991 yeah, season, which was Nancy's first Worlds, which is why she kind of like they all did really great at that first Worlds competition because all of a sudden the scoring that had been holding them back. Mm-hmm. Because they weren't focused on the compulsory figures was gone and they didn't, like, they weren't getting points taken off anymore. So Tanya landed her first triple axel, which is widely considered to be the most difficult jump with the highest point value in competition. Um, And it won her the U.S. championship. She landed it again at Worlds, but she still came in second because Krista Yamaguchi is a goddamn badass. Very low. Sometimes I just Um, watch videos of her skating and I'm just like, I... I'm just going to watch this until I'm dead. And she gets forgotten a lot because she... Did nothing wrong. She did nothing wrong. (laughs) Um, Tanya would never again land the triple axel in competition, which would slowly cause her scores to decline. She was really stressed out about the fact that she wasn't able to land it anymore. She, like, double-footed it a couple times, and Mm -hmm. they were like, ooh, 
that's bad. You're supposed to always land on one ski, On correct? one ski, yes. Okay. Uh, 1992 brought the Olympics, where she took fourth, so she didn't place technically. But she didn't do bad. She was good. Uh, while Nancy graced advertisements, Tanya was always considered trailer trash. Uh, kind of like straight out there, like. I thought you were bringing Nancy Grace into this. No, while Nancy Grace. Nancy is out graced. Here. Cool. Graced. Got it. She was gracing advertisements across the country. She graced uh, our presence. Nancy graced our presence. <laughs> Very that. She did. Uh, her personal life repeatedly uh, revolved around her first husband, Jeff Galuli, which is bad and a bad time. And pronounced bad. Galuli? G I L L O O L Y. Is that Levana wow. spelled backwards? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> It's written on the walls, you guys. <laughs> you can't see it. Uh, he met Tanya when she was just 15 and he was 18. He was her first date ever. And I, from the I Tanya trailer with Margot Robbie, it was her mom went along on the date. I don't know how accurate that is, and I only saw that in the trailer for the new movie that's coming out. Oh wow! But apparently, the mom went along on her first date with Jeff. I Tanya, like I Robot. You very that. <laughs> how was she, how old was she at this point? Fifteen when she met her first husband, who was eighteen. Four years later, 1990, they married, uh, divorcing. Like this is all throughout her competing life. Like, right. She was 16 at her first competition like her first u.s competition so she was 15 when she met him what an athlete jeez right that's a lot um, so they married officially in 1990 and then officially divorced in 1993 after like a super violent and abusive on and off relationship uh was like way in and out there were like gunshots Yikes. reported at their home mm-hmm. and he was abusive and <gasps> she was abusive and she like at one point had hit someone else with a Hubcap, I don't know. It's really, it's really all a mess. Righteous. Hubcap. It's all a mess. So, although they had divorced in 1993, at the beginning of 1994, they were still together. They were living together. Okay. Uh, So by the end of 93, they were living together again. She was known to be super difficult with her coaches, referring to them to the media as her employees, which is like really kind of insensitive to Hmm. someone who like is training you for the Olympics and Mm -hmm. brought you up from nothing. (laughs) Um, And literally, like, she wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for those coaches taking her on when she was, like, some scrappy little fucking seven-year-old, you know? Whatever. She also smoked cigarettes, despite that asthma that I mentioned earlier, and she was, like, she garnered a lot of sympathy for, like, this asthma. She was, like, coughing and throwing up after every competition. Um, Like, she would hold it together on ice, and then she'd, like, jump off and, like, be, like, dry heaving. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, you you watch Nancy Kerrigan... Get out on that ice. She's graceful the whole way through. She walks off the ice and she's fucking floating. You watch Tanya Harding get off the ice and then she's dry heaving and her bangs are sticking. Like, literally, it's the perfect story to latch onto and make someone into the villain. It's crazy how good this is, like, for the media. Um, No one wanted to sponsor her because she was trashy. It was really all a whole thing. Let's take a journey. It's 1994. Um, this season was very, very, very important because it was the Norway Winter Olympics. Uh, they opened on February 12th. So in the early days of January, the U.S. championships were to take place, which is part of the qualifiers to get onto the U.S. Olympic team. So they were to take place in Detroit. Uh, Nancy was a fan favorite, obviously. Everyone loved her. And Tanya had something to prove because everyone was like, yeah, I mean, she's good at skating, but like... Like, Nancy's wearing Vera Wang dresses, like, gorgeous pieces the whole time. 
It's crazy to watch. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know like any of this. It's wild. <laughs> Nancy was so super good. ready for the Olympics. She was super ready for the U.S. competition. She was ready for Worlds. She was going to take this season. She was definitely going to compete. It was probably going to be her last Olympics because they kicked those figure skaters out real early. <laughs> so... Our story officially begins with a metaphorical bang and a way more literal, like, whack. Uh, Here we go. January 6th, Capricorn season, bitches. After a routine practice the day before the U.S. competition was set and Nancy was supposed to skate, she was scheduled to perform, like, as one of the first in the roster. Mm -hmm. So she was ready. She was going out there. She was going to go through her routine and she was going to go home and get her sleep and go out and perform. Uh, she gets off the ice. She places the guards on her skates and walks off, going behind a curtain into the hallway. As she does that, an unidentified man hits her just above her right knee with no. a police baton no. and runs off. The man was described as white, six foot two, and two hundred pounds. He fled, breaking a pane of glass in the back door instead of just opening the door <laughs> and escaping that way. He falls into the snow face first and then gets up and runs off. <laughs> Is there, like, a his body shape cut out Wait, in the glass perfectly? He, like, probably whacked it with the police baton and just, like, dove <laughs> through it. Like, it's really <laughs> it's extra. It, it's what it is. And I hope he gets caught. And, oh, my God, poor Nancy. So. <laughs> the, uh, the news media was right there the whole time. They literally yes. followed her off the ice and watched as she went behind the curtain. And they walked off to go film something else. Seconds later, the news cuts to her on the ground, holding her leg, screaming in pain. She's screaming, why? Her dad rushes in. Her little cousins are there. Like, her whole family's there. The media's there. Like, it's really this whole thing. And it gets broadcast, like, on every channel. Everyone's losing their goddamn minds. America's sweetheart just got attacked. That's so sad. So she was rushed to the hospital and no fracture was found, uh, just a cut and a bad bruise. She couldn't bear weight on her leg though. And there was no way she was going to be able to perform. Yeah, no, that's, that's she was fully ready. Like walking in, she was like trying to get off the table. She was like, I'm performing tomorrow. Like I have, I have to go on tomorrow. Like there's no way I'm not going to, what do you mean? She said uh, herself in the documentary that she doesn't do well with change. And she was just like, I perform that's tomorrow. It's happening. Mm -hmm. And it took her a while to get like off that mindset. She initially, everyone assumed that she wasn't going to be able to perform in the Olympics because she didn't place in the U S championship. And that's how they qualify. The top two people were, I don't know the second woman's name, but it was Tanya. Tanya Mm. Tanya was first that year. She did really well. The association found a way to ensure Nancy a spot in Worlds, saying that this was like a personal attack on her and it had nothing to do with her performance, and it's unfair. They were like, obviously she was going to win anyway. Like, we just got to give her a spot. So the girl who placed second that year just kind of got bumped out Ah! and didn't get to go to the Olympics because everyone was like, well, Nancy Kerrigan would have beat her anyway. Which is like, she's the unsung hero here. Like, who is... I don't remember the girl's name even. I didn't even write it down. They should have had a night skate. You know what I mean? Like, they go out at night and they just see who can skate the best with like like a glow... um, I'm picturing an 80s It wasn't Christy Yamaguchi because she was retired at this point. She was not doing this. That was her last Olympics. And she would have made all of this irrelevant because she would have won. Exactly. This was the second highly publicized attack on a female athlete in a very short period of time. Hmm. In April 30th, 1993, during the quarterfinals, an obsessed fan of German tennis player Steffi Graf rushed the court 
uh, and stabbed Monica Sells, uh, who was Graf's grand, grand Slam rival. Like, during a game, he bursts from the crowd, stabs her with, like, a whaling <gasps> knife, only, like, half an inch into her back, but, like, stabs the woman while she's trying to play some tennis. This is a game. While she's trying to play some tennis. <laughs> Um, so everyone was like, immediate thought, they were like, whoa, why are female athletes being attacked so crazily? Must be someone's obsessed fan. I'm mm-hmm. sure that was most people's first thought. Speaking of other first thoughts, many are quoted as almost jokingly picking Tanya as a suspect from like day one. Mm. Mark McDonald was quoted as asking where Tanya was in the newsroom, like only hours after the attack. Even Tanya's ex-coach said her initial reaction was, who does Tanya know in Detroit? <laughs> Uh, Tanya, by the way, uh, placed first in the competition. I I didn't know if I was going to say that or not. (laughs) And the association officially made the U.S. Olympic figure skating team Nancy and Tanya. Those are the facts. Sounds like a buddy cop. And let's get into what actually happened. So the FBI investigation. Only six days after the attack, the FBI had already shared that they were looking into a tip that Tanya and her ex, Jeff Galuli, were responsible for orchestrating the attack. Six days later. They were like... Clearly something's up here. (laughs) So Jeff's immediate response to being questioned by the media was, I have more faith in my wife than to bump off her competition. They're not married. And Mm. Tanya's initial response was uh, that she did not know Jeff. Uh, or that not that she didn't know Jeff, that she was not married to him, and why would her ex-husband do? That's stupid. My ex-husband wouldn't do anything like that. We're ex. He's, we're not married, and he's like, I have more faith in my wife. And she, get your stories. Right. Is all I have to say. <laughs> well, uh, Tanya I mean, immediately hired a bodyguard to protect herself because she was worried. She mm-hmm. didn't know who was attacking these people, and she needed Sean Eckhart to um, watch over her. He was a large man. He was like 26. He's described at like 6'2", 300 pounds. He's out there being a bodyguard. He was also questioned by the FBI because they thought he was involved as well. Over 100 pages of transcripts came out of the ensuing uh, FBI investigation from the like initial questioning of Jeff Galuli and his ragtag bunch of idiots. Uh-huh. <laughs> the first arrests included the bodyguard, Sean, and he was a self-proclaimed Counterterrorism specialist, parachutist, and college lecturer. Uh, these were on. These were on his resume. Oh. In reality, Sean Eckhart was a 26-year-old mama's boy who lived at home while he was attending college. So you played like Counter Strike, and he was like. He was running a bodyguard <laughs> service out of one of the spare rooms where he was uh, planning on. I don't know if he actually how much how much of this had gone out. I know that he worked as Tanya's bodyguard for, like, two days Okay. after the attacks. Because then he got arrested. <laughs> and she said she didn't know him. <laughs> cut to documentary, cut to her walking down the hallway. This is my bodyguard. I hired him to protect me. Cut back. I don't know him. Great. Never met Sean before. Literally, I want to believe her so bad. I want to, like, I wanted to get to the truth here and, mm-hmm. like, genuinely see what happened, but every single thing she said was directly contradicted almost Stinks immediately. Like, like, it would cut to her own <laughs> face and voice directly contradicting what she had just said in the interview. Jesus. So, like, you can't even... You can, uh, this documentary was like, no, yeah, no, no, no. Okay. It no, was no. wild. It was Tanya. <laughs> it was wild. 
Um, so Shane Stant was also arrested. Uh, he was hired for just $6,000. He's the hitman. Alleged hitman. $6,000 to... $6,000 to... Whack, whack an Olympian. In front of the news cameras. <laughs> Essentially. Was she supposed to be killed or just like over the knee? Well, um, so he was recommended for the job by his uncle, Derek Smith, who also was the getaway driver. Great. Um, Sean initially said that the job involved slicing Nancy's Achilles tendons. So she... <laughs> I hate that. That's... That's his thing, yeah. I'm out. Mine's eyeballs. We were just um, talking about Achilles tendons for some reason. But Shane, like, straight up was like, my line is drawn at cutting someone. Not gonna do it. Okay. But he was fully ready to keep her from performing was the plan. Mm-hmm. So he was gonna injure her enough that she wouldn't be able to perform in definitely the U.S. championships, ideally the Olympics. Right. But, like, they didn't really think that the association would be able to find that loophole. Like, that was kind of, like, out of nowhere. That she was able to compete in uh, the Olympics. Uh, Shane Stant and his uncle drove on December 26th after getting a call to get this hitman job. They were like, great. So they get in the car the day after Christmas. They're like, it's a Christmas miracle. We're going to go and get $6,000. The 22-hour drive from Arizona to Portland, where they met Sean Eckhart at his mom's house. It was December 27th, at that, that day, obviously, mm-hmm. the day after. And Eckhart recorded the ensuing conversation, because he thought he was a counterterrorism specialist. And he was like, his thought process was half, if Jeff backs out, I'll be able to blackmail him into not backing out, which is smart. His other thought process was, um, I'm getting paid, this is a job, the cops can't get me in trouble for this, because I'm working as a bodyguard specialist. And I'm a counterterrorism expert. If I show them this footage, <laughs> they'll understand. So, <laughs> Jeff Galuli entered and sat down. And the men there, Jeff, um, Shane, his uncle, Derek, and Sean, all sat down and talked about their plan to take out Nancy Kerrigan as competition for Tanya. Oh, my God. Uh, I hate. So, their plans that. included... They were going to uh, tie her up and murder her, but they were like, they couldn't settle on a price was one of the things. Mm -hmm. And also Shane was like, I don't even want to cut someone. Like, I really am not into murder. And the only person who was super into murder was Sean Eckhart, the bodyguard. He was like, let's do it. Murder her. Murder her. Like... (laughs) I'm a counter-terrorist. Take her out. Another plan. She must be a terrorist. (laughs) Another plan was to hit her with their car. Again, snipe her was was another. Of course. They're going to take out her kneecaps, both of them. So really, they were all over the place. They just knew that they wanted to incapacitate her. Um, So their official plans, Tanya Harding called Nancy's practice arena to get the address and Nancy's schedule. Her alibi for doing that was that she needed to... uh, Tanya had a fan who uh, wanted to get a poster signed by both Tanya and Nancy. So Tanya was like, I'll just call and see if Nancy's around to sign this poster. So Galuli had discussed this call with Tanya when he returned to their shared home after the meeting. He, like, got back and filled Tanya in, and Tanya, like, okayed it, like, checked off on their plans. So December 28th, Shane Stant flew to Boston and got a hotel under his own name. 
He had to have his credit card shipped to him by his girlfriend because he, he grabbed the wrong credit card on the way out and had his girlfriend's credit card and couldn't rent a car because the name didn't match. Yeah. So on so the initial day that he was supposed to carry out this attack, December 28th, I think the initial plan was he was going to hit her with the car. Uh, yeah. He was going to drive to her arena and whack her with the car when she left because this was in Boston. This was not in Detroit. This was in Boston where she was practicing to leave. Okay. So she hadn't left yet. She was still at home. So it was way less public. The news media wasn't there. No one was going to film her screaming afterward. He was going to take care of his job effectively and get out. Uh, but he couldn't do any of that because he's never done a thing effective in his goddamn life. <laughs> apparently, based off of anything from this case. Well, good. So he gets the credit card shipped to him, and he gets it on the 30th, officially, December 30th, okay. uh, and goes to drive to Cape Cod, which is where Nancy's arena was, and almost at the exact same time he's driving there, she's driving back to Boston to fly out to Detroit. He does not know this, and he continues, he gets there, and he stalks out the arena for four full days, moving the car every 30 minutes to avoid suspicion. Ab- of course. So... <laughs> Picture you're working in this arena. Mm-hmm. You look out the window and you see this car. It's probably just like a vague rental car, but it's parked in the parking lot here. And then it moves to the other side. And then 30 minutes, it's over here. And then 30 minutes, it's over here. And then 30 <laughs> minutes later, it's on that side. And then it's across the street. And then it's in the parking lot. And you know then what he's... that is? Not suspicious. <laughs> for four days. Not for like two hours. For four days, he scooched around in different positions for every 30 minutes. Hyperventilate. <laughs> Um, and he was telling the cops like proudly all of this information. You guys are going to think I'm so smart. <laughs> all of this is directly from these, these people's mouths. When they were interviewed, they immediately were like, let's go. Let's talk about it. I have some news for you. Uh, so finally on January 4th, he called the arena uh, for his daughter asking uh, if Nancy was around because his daughter wanted to meet her. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were oh, like, yeah, no, she left days ago. You idiot. <laughs> um we see you outside. They <laughs> I don't know if they saw him. <laughs> we can see your like... feet sticking out from the curtain. <laughs> Very that. Uh, like he called from his hotel room that he took out under his name to the arena of like... the woman he was trying to like take out. <laughs> oh, I was pretty sure I was like calling the front desk. Like It's literally she so messy. <laughs> it's so messy. Ugh, so when he's slapping. finally informed that she left to go to the U.S. competition, he takes a bus to Detroit because he probably didn't have it in the budget to fly out. Right. So he takes a like a full bus. There he picked up his uncle from the airport because they had to change their plan because now it's different. Now they're in a completely different place. Uh, so his uncle <laughs> would be the get the getaway driver because now there's like more involved. It's, right. it's different. So Shane stand hidden plain sight. Right behind an ABC cameraman. So when you watch Nancy walking off the ice, that is his literal viewpoint of the woman he's about to whack. He's walking right behind those cameras, and that is so scary. I watched that video so many times. It's so scary. I didn't see that, too. So right as the cameraman walks away, he sneaks right underneath the curtain, right behind her, pulls out his baton, swings, misses, and panics because he doesn't hit her on, on her knee. He just bruises her. Oh, yeah. He knows immediately that he didn't break a bone because he knows the noise of a bone breaking, and that wasn't it. So he's probably broken a few bones in his life, and he was like, that's not right. <laughs> uh, shit, gotta run, though, because she's screaming, mm-hmm. and there's a panicked crowd gathering very quickly around her. 
and yeah. he's running. So he gets to the door and it's padlocked. So when he had looked at okay. the arena the day before, it hadn't been padlocked, and he's like, "Oh, what do I do?" So he whacks it, thwarted, oh, uh, falls into the snow again, <laughs> like literally <laughs> falls into the snow before he eventually makes it to the car. I don't think there's ever like a description of the car that goes out, so I think they just think he disappears. So Sean Eckhart immediately goes home and brags about the attack to his friends, thinking he started a demand for his bodyguard services. Now that he attacked a, uh, an athlete, athletes will need a bodyguard now, and he's got him. I They'll mean, hire him out of his mom's house. He is exactly the opposite of a bodyguard. In Portland, right? He's so bad at it. He's so. a body attacking. Well, no, he's not the attacker. Oh. Shane is the attacker. Still Sorry, Sean. not guarding Shane, anything. Sean, Shane. Sean is the bodyguard. Shane is the hitman. Okay. God, that's hard. I know. I will never tell them apart. I know. I mean, or know them apart. It's all right. Might as well be the same. I can just say the bodyguard and the hitman. Oh, perfect. So the bodyguard uh, (laughs) is like, I got this. I have a new interest in my niche market for female skater bodyguards. (laughs) And Tanya was right there next to him. She was like, great. You know this super secret attack that we just all orchestrated? You know what the best idea is? Let's bring you into the spotlight and follow me around. Yep. Follow me around and make sure that no one attacks me. But no one's going to attack me because I know who... (laughs) I'm so stressed out about every decision these people make. They're all bad decisions. So he immediately is talking to his friend Gene Saunders, who is a pastor, about this attack. Gene Saunders goes to the FBI on January 10th. Um, So the six days later when that tip that comes in, that's him. That's because Sean went home and opened his mouth and told everyone about what he had done. I thought, Pat, there's like some confidentiality shit between like... You would think (laughs) that they would come up with some better agreement for this hitman situation. They don't have a good enough contract drawn up. They need a lawyer. Um... By the end of the month, Tanya admits to having known about her ex-husband's involvement, but Mm. says that she only knew after the fact, and she didn't plan any of that, and she has nothing to do with it, and she would never. So she goes from being like, how? No, never. So she lies to the cops a lot Mm -hmm. throughout this whole thing. She was interviewed for 10.5 hours at the very, very beginning. Fuck. And the whole time she lied to the cops because she didn't admit until later that she had any involvement. So Tanya calls uh, Eckhart's mom cool for have uh, for having known about the attack. She thinks that's cool. She's like, that's a cool family, because the mom like fully knew that Eckhart, uh, the bodyguard, was planning all of this and actually called Jeff to ask if her son was going to be back to go to school the next day, but he was busy <laughs> performing an attack. <laughs> Uh, the same mom said to Jeff uh, that she thinks it will will work. She was fully in. She was like, yeah, that'll be a great, great plan. That'll go full well. You hit that Kerrigan girl. Your first job. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> right. So uh, Nancy so said that she read all of these transcripts almost immediately after they were released. Oh. Uh, and she thought they were hilarious. Oh. She was like, these fucking idiots. She thought it was funny how he'd like slammed his head through the plexiglass. <laughs> and like, like literally she was like, they, she was just like taken aback by like how badly this was all planned. And like, thank God for it. She could have been taken out of, like, she was like, she thank God they killed. were bad. Their yeah. initial plans would have taken her out of skating for her whole life or taken her out in general. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, like it could have gone so bad. She's like, she was like, I'm lucky that they were assholes, honestly. Mm -hmm. So when you Nancy and Tanya had separate struggles to get into the 1994 Winter Olympics, Nancy had to like find that loophole or whatever. And she was pretty much easily accepted and she knew it was happening, but like they hadn't made the official like announcement yet because to make the official announcement, they would have to say that Tanya was on the team as well. Mm-hmm. They were not ready to do that. She was under investigation. I'm sure they were waiting till the last moment to see if she was going to be charged with anything. Uh, she threatened to sue if they wouldn't let her perform in the Olympics because she, everyone. she did nothing wrong, even though at this point she had said that she had lied to the cops right. and like was probably going to be arrested for something at some point. But she fled to Norway for the Olympics, like as everyone else did. Like not, She didn't flee to Norway. <laughs> that was dramatic. Well, aren't, aren't you not allowed to leave the state or whatever if you're under, uh, under I think they let her go. The she was coming back. Okay. I don't know how all that works. Uh, so the ladies' single skating event in the 1994 Winter Olympics was held just seven weeks after the attack. Nancy had literally like healed so well and done so great. She like took care of her life. She put it all back together. She fucking rocked the shit out of her performing. Um, all of her like practices were great. She was a star. Everyone loves her. Literally, everyone was so excited. At the same time, the media is going goddamn shit fucking wild over this whole case. Yeah. They're talking trash about Tanya. Everyone loves Nancy. She's never done a thing wrong ever. <laughs> Tanya's a woman and trashy and terrible. And Jesus. how dare she do any of these things? And they're pulling up. She got investigated for a hit and run on her brother once. I don't know if she just got questioned. I don't mm, think she well, did it. But like that her. happened. You like literally, it. they're going in on her like they're using her. unflattering photos of this poor woman of course, of course obviously they're they're vilifying her for smoking cigarettes with asthma like literally they're just like picking everything like they're just like going and every interview she does like up to and heading towards the winter olympics is about the attack like what did you know how could you do that and every single time her like coaches or her publicist or whoever was hired to like keep that from happening would mm-hmm. be like we're here to talk about her skating we're here to talk about her skating no one wanted to ask about her skating they didn't care <laughs> she ordered a hit on their favorite skater like, <laughs> everyone was like how dare you we don't care about your skating we want your blood like <laughs> genuinely the associate like as i said they weren't going to allow her a place but she threatened like to sue them for all they were worth like they were like fuck fine i guess mm-hmm. i guess you can perform um Ugh. she placed eighth after a huge controversy, um, her laces were like she had a broken lace and had to relace her shoes. And then, like half an hour had passed, like her name got called for her to go out to perform, and she didn't show up. And everyone was like, "Anything in the world could have just happened. <laughs> Literally, anything could have happened. She got arrested. She got murdered. Someone whacked her in the leg. Like she murdered Nancy herself. Like Jesus. literally, like anything. Everyone was losing their minds oh when." God. And she finally like shows up and bad guys. She's right. She shows up. Uh, her there was footage of her coach lacing her skate, which is a whole thing. You're supposed to lace your own. Is skates. it time stamped? Everyone who was interviewed was like, "I haven't had someone lace my skate since I was seven years old." It was like, it's a whole thing. So she literally, when Tanya gets called out, she walks out onto the rink, starts to perform, stops bursts into tears, skates over to the judges, 
throws her leg up onto the thing and is pointing at her skates and she's like, it's broken, you have to let me re-perform, this is stupid, my skates are broken. Like, she's like yelling at the judges about how like her skates fucked up. And it's like, we just watched your, not you tie them, we know they're fucked up. So she was like, half an hour had passed and she'd gotten cold and her body was tired and she was in the ice for that long and you're not supposed to... She literally had every excuse under the bus. Everyone thinks that she did it just so she would be able to perform first the next morning and get a reskate, So she would be able to like better prepare or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's, get, let's get back into their first time on the ice together. So during the practice... Before the Winter Olympics, before anyone performed, I got ahead of myself, before they performed together, they were set to practice on the ice, like free practice. This is the media, after, after the attack. After the right. attack. Okay. After everyone knows that she knew about it, after her ex-husband and her bodyguard and this guy who went to grade school with her husband, like literally every, like they're like, she was clearly involved in at least some way. They were set to be on the same ice together practicing their sport. Nancy, my goddamned woman, wore the same outfit she was attacked in for their first time on the ice together. Oh my god. As like a symbol of her strength and what she overcame. Mm -hmm. And also kind of like a fuck you. Yeah, she's like, fight me. Like, look, you tried to take me the fuck out and I'm here and I'm going to beat you. And I also brought this tie And look how good I look. (laughs) She looks amazing in this, like, white... She looks angelic. Like, it is literally, like, innocence projected onto this, like, white, perfect, like, ugh. It's so good. And, oh, my God. So, the media is... I'm so in love with her. The media is lined up, like, waiting for just the moment when they pass each other on the ice. Because they're practicing on separate sides, Mm -hmm. but, like, at some point, they're going to, like, scoot drive past each other. At some point, they're going to, like... And that picture, literally the sound of all the cameras flashing in the arena, I shouted. <laughs> I had to pause it and go back and listen to it again because it is the most, it's so beyond, oh my God. Every single camera in that room went off at the exact same time to get that photo. Everyone like lost their minds over this photo of them skating past each other. She's wearing the same outfit she was attacked in. And there's a photo of her next to the woman who planned her attack. (laughs) This is so wild. I need to see it. They didn't talk, obviously. Tanya says that she went up to Nancy to say something and Nancy looked at her like she was a piece of trash and was like... Why would I ever want to talk to you? Which is like fair. True. What'd you expect, Tanya? That is kind of like the healthy one of the healthiest reactions. Yeah, just to like and just be like, goodbye. And there is no way that literally Nancy is such such a woman. There's no way she she herself said that they didn't interact at all. Mm-hmm. She was like, no, she didn't come near me. Why would uh, Why would I want to go talk to her? That's crazy. I have no interest in that. Uh, so, yeah, Nancy never once speaks badly of Tanya, no, uh, like ever. So Nancy was a complete star during those Olympics, obviously. Uh, she took home the silver medal, losing to Oksana Bayul, oh, yeah. who was a Ukrainian orphan who was raised, like taken in and raised by her coach. And like, it's this tiny little tiny, she looks 12 years old. From the first time she shows up in this documentary to four years later. Like, she... <laughs> so small. Oksana Bayul. There's a whole controversy 
uh, involving Nancy afterward because right after she'd won the silver medal, they were going to go out for the ceremony where they get the things. And uh, Nancy had been told that Oksana was in her dressing room reapplying her makeup because she cried it all off. But that mm-hmm. wasn't actually what had happened. There was like a wardrobe malfunction or something stupid. I don't know. No, they were they paused they paused it because they needed to find a Ukrainian national anthem because they were like, ooh. <laughs> We didn't expect this newcomer to win this. We don't have this prepared. So they had to pause for like half an hour. And literally, there's like a live mic on Nancy. And you can hear her go, Ugh, she's going to get out there and cry it all off again anyway. And people like aired that. And they That's were like, it. she hates that orphan girl from the Ukraine. What a horrible monster bitch. Like, how dare she? And it's like... Literally flipped. I, like, I really don't think that's what she meant. At all. She was... And what... She was saying, like, don't waste your makeup, girl. Yeah, like, in the documentary, she was like, I'm going to go out there and cry, too. Like, we're all going to cry. Like, we just won the Olympics. I really didn't mean it, like, attacking her at all. Mm-hmm. She also missed the closing ceremonies for that year's Olympics, which was a whole thing. And everyone was like, the initial reports were that she missed it because there were death threats on her and there weren't. She missed it because she had to go to a corporate sponsorship thing for Disney World, where there was another controversy because she was forced to wear her silver medal in the parade. And she was always like taught when she was young to not brag and like, that's bad and people are going to laugh at you if you brag. And she was like, this is corny. And there was a live mic on her and she said, this is the corniest thing I've ever done. This is like the worst. <laughs> this is so corny. God, Mike And everyone was like, she ass. hates Mickey Mouse. <laughs> 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 to quickly like wrap this all Sorry. up. That's just all a wild story. Mm-hmm. Tanya never faces any jail time. She pleads uh, guilty to like withholding information. Okay. Not to anything crazy. I didn't ever, I didn't get the specific charges that anyone got, but I have uh, the direct where are they nows. I googled Tanya Harding and the immediate, like, there was like a photo from 24 hours ago. Jesus. uh, Because she was on the red carpet for the I, Tanya movie. Oh, yeah. She also briefly wrestled, not wrestled, sorry, it was boxing. Oh. It was boxing. Was it- she was doing anything to get some dough after this. Yeah. She would only do paid interviews. But then in every paid interview, she would at the end be like, no one wants to hear about this crap anymore. And then she'd go and take another interview. Um, whatever. I mean, make your coin, girl. Especially since she can't get any more what? skating jobs. And like, she's banned from, she was banned from competing in the worlds. Like afterward, they were like, nope. And they like kind of revoked all of her awards in a way. Uh, like as much as they legally could mm-hmm. they were just like bye yeah Tanya. yeah they basically they were like nope but cancel Tanya. Uh, cancel Tanya. <laughs> jeff uh went to jail for some time but he made a plea bargain to get less jail time because he ratted out uh tanya and the other people like everyone was like taking plea bargains to rat out tanya because they were trying to pin this on her because the mm-hmm. media was losing their goddamn minds right it was her. Oh, yeah, also that. <laughs> also, yeah. It was her. There was uh, there's also, like, evidence. They found plans, like, handwritten plans in her handwriting that Ray was, like, never officially down. Come right. on! The Tony what? Kent arena is where uh, Nancy was practicing, and the handwriting was written T-U-N-E-E can, so Tony can instead of Tony Kent which is why they couldn't find her the first day they drove. Like, they drove around in circles trying to find her arena the first day they were in Boston. Yeah, they were looking they for the toonie can. They were looking for the toonie can. 
So Jeff is alive. He changed his name afterward because Tanya came out with a book later saying that she was like assaulted and held at gunpoint by the four men involved in the attack. Mm. She said that once in 2008 and then like she had never said it previously and then she came out with her tell all book and said that that was why she'd like been threatened to not tell anyone about anything and Jeff was like that's crazy and changed his last name and then whatever last name he picked people who had that the full name Jeff whatever last name it was that he picked I'm sorry I don't remember Mm -hmm. they were like that's gonna sully my name and they like tried to fight him and he was like legally allowed to do it it was fine because you can't stop someone from having the same name as you Uh, Sean the bodyguard died in 2007 at 40 from natural causes and Aside from the brief controversy following the Olympics with Nancy, she kind of has just, like, lived her own life. She's done a couple public appearances. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was on Dancing with the Stars. Hmm. She did a couple things. But, like, in comparison to Tanya Harding, like, selling her sex tape to Penthouse with Jeff, her, her murder sex tape conspiracy to commit assault sex sex tape tape. okay and like a bunch of other crazy she was on like the world's dumbest criminal show she like pops up in the corner is like what's that guy doing here like you know what tv show i'm talking about yeah like literally she just has kind of like tried to do this whole reality tv show thing and it's kind of working for her i mean she's she's got a daughter i think right now uh but nancy is just trying to live as a mom but she was like speaking about how she always has something new in life to come up on next. And even though she was attacked, her kids know about it and she's good and everything's good. And I we got there. It. I liked it a lot. I honestly did not know like anything at all. Oh, at all. No, no. It was a whole journey that I went through, honestly. Well, we had um, the Siege of the Branch Davidians at Waco. We had the S.K. Pierce Haunted House. Was yes, that S.K. Pierce Haunted Mansion. Mansion. I like to call him S.K.P. It's faster because I'm a busy woman. Sure. And the uh, attack of Nancy Kerrigan yeah. and the drama conflamer <gasps> of Tanya Harding. The wild media craziness <laughs> was pre-OJ. 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 That's all I have to say. <laughs> can't you believe this shit? Can you? No. <laughs> I fucking can't. Physically cannot. Oh my god. Cancel. Cancel podcast. Cancel, Cancel OJ. podcast. Cancel OJ. Cancel OJ. <laughs> Bye. Get out. Go away. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. And as always, we are available Wait. on Twitter oh, yeah. at uh, CYBS Pod. Email us at kennybeliefpod at gmail.com. CYBS for the Twitter. The other one. And uh, Facebook. The Facebook is out there and you can find it very easily by searching Can You Believe This S H Star T. Bam. That's pretty much how you can find us anywhere. Yeah, Bam. it's S H Star T. And if you can't find us, you didn't try hard enough. Exactly. And then you don't deserve to listen. It's true. Part of it. So always remember and never forget that Mothman is out there. Mothman loves you. Don't sue us. Bye. Bye. <laughs>